Darker Days Radio, episode number 34. Tonight, I'm joined by Chris. How's it going, Chris? Hi there. Uh, I'm okay. Pretty good. Back from holiday, so feeling uh, chipper. <laughs> yeah. Awesome, awesome. I'm joined by Mark, of course. Hi there. How are you guys doing? Um, it's the end of half-time holidays here, so I'll be uh, glad when this is over. <laughs> And we're also joined by special guest, Dave Brookshaw. How's it going, Dave? Very well, thanks, and thank you for having me. Cool. Now, Dave is a White Wolf freelancer. Uh, he's worked quite extensively on Mage the Awakening, and he's also yeah. dabbled in Changeling and Vampire, as well as being a fan of uh, all the World of Darkness games, I'm sure. We've, we've name-checked Dave enough times on the show that we thought we really had to have, uh, have you on. Um, largely for your excellent actual play reports, which uh, denizens of RPGNet and elsewhere will know, or by repute, if nothing else. So welcome aboard, and uh, thank you for joining us. Thanks. Thanks again. Cool. So uh, what's been going on with everyone? Uh, Chris, you mentioned that you were just on holiday. You were in Venice, correct? Uh, yeah, I was there for um, for about almost a, a week. Um, it seemed to go by at some moments really fast and sometimes really slow because um, I've been there with my wife uh, twice before. So we've kind of seen quite a lot of the major sites. So you don't have to run around like a lunatic trying to get, see everything in, in a few days. So we kind of, again, were a bit more relaxed with things and uh, got to kind of just like immerse ourselves in Venice again and kind of just explore some more bits. In particular, the the um, the public gardens weirded me out because I've never been to them before, yet featured them in my um, my own Changeling games, and I didn't realise how close my own descriptions were to something that I'd never seen before. So spooky. Yeah, yeah, a bit spooky. Um, Did you get to go to Poveglia at all, or have you been there? You can't go to Perfeglia, no boat goes to Perfeglia, but um, <laughs> we did go to the northern part of the island, which, islands, which is Canaregio, uh, at night to uh, take a photo of the Casino Degli Spiriti, which is the the House of Spirits, which looks out across the lagoon to, um, to the cemetery island known as uh, San Michel, so we've had a look mm-hmm. at that. Uh, we've pretty much seen everything that I think featured in my own Changeling game. So we saw the, we found the lion that had its head chopped off. It that appears in one of the, the um, one of the secret frequencies we did, um, mm. which covered that lion that got brought to life by a sorcerer. So yeah, numerous things, numerous freaky things. We got dressed up, walked around, got photographed in costume, and yeah, just at pizza and stuff and chocolate. So and plenty of bloody coffee. <laughs> and gelato, she says, yes, plenty of gelato. So, yeah, it's been good. The best, yeah. How about you? You said you had half-term, so... Yes, um, all three kids at home, which has been, you know, less of a, of a nightmare than you might expect. We've, uh, the th- Me and the two eldest have been playing insane amounts of Xbox, mainly cooperative missions on Borderlands, which has been a huge amount of fun, actually. Um, my, my two kids have become mean shots with sniper rifles. Um, I had a truly, truly hideous gig with my band last week, so for anybody who was at the King Billy in Northampton, I apologize. I'm really, really, really sorry. We won't do it again. Um and other than that, yeah, just uh, kind of kicking back. Got a, a Pathfinder game coming up Tuesday, um, and I, there, there may may well be um, uh, a super advanced high level uh, Bulette, uh, which I'm largely modelling on Jaws, um, a kind of land shark called the White Death. So that'll be kind of fun. Um, prepping for that, yeah. Other than that, not much. 
Awesome. And uh, Dave, have you been uh, up to anything? Got any games going right now? Games? Uh, well, Mage, obviously. <laughs> the uh, uh, the Eternally Continuing Chronicle, um, which uh, several of your readers, maybe as many as ten, may have uh, been reading about. I run a game of Eclipse Phase mm, um, okay, every cool. week. Um, uh, I'm going to be running that tomorrow night. And then there are occasional things. Um, there's a uh, there's a game of Dragon Age that gets about three sessions in a year. But, that sounds uh, like my mage game. <laughs> yeah, but other than that, my sphere of role playing is uh, is is still very much. Um, there's about ten things which we would play if we had time to do. You know, some of them I would plan to run. Some of them, some of the other guys would plan to run, and. Um, Every now and again, one of them kicks off. So, yeah, still very, very active. And then, well, pretty much every waking hour not spent at the day job is writing or mm-hmm. playing. So, yeah. It's a hard life. It, it is. Yeah. It's terrible, <laughs> terrible. Coolness. All right. Awesome, awesome. All right, so we've got uh, a lot of questions that are going to be coming up and not too much time, so... Uh, let's get started with, uh, it's actually not in the show notes because I forgot to put it on, but the mailbag segment. Uh, ah. So we did get quite a few messages since our last episode, and uh, I totally didn't write them down, but let's see if I can remember. So Steiner sent us some secret frequency suggestions, so we definitely appreciate mm-hmm. that. Adrian Stag was asking us for advice on, Chrissy sent him an email about it. Uh, infernalism. Wasn't it? No, no, that was someone else. <laughs> That's the next one. Sorry. <laughs> what was it? That? It was something um, about no. like making, uh, like having difficult adversaries despite like the supernatural creatures and like the player characters being so powerful to start off mm. with. Yeah, and was it balancing? It was maybe balancing out the power levels of your characters and knowing ahead. Yeah, it's. Yeah, obviously, I think again, it's the normal trick of if you really want to. Um, it was really just saying again the normal trick of if you want to to shake things up for the players, you know, make things more mysterious. Don't you know break the rules or or add in something different. So I think that's what I remember from that. Yeah, right. right. Yeah, definitely. And then we also got an email about infernalism. Uh, and yeah. Chris, we were talking pretty extensively about that, uh, especially because it was about uh, Vampire the Dark Ages or Dark Ages Vampire. And that's definitely yeah. something we should cover in the future because we don't talk about the Dark Ages enough on this show. No, it, it would be it'd be good because um, I uh, played in a very long, uh, a year-long chronicle of uh, Vampire: The Dark Ages, which was quite enjoyable. And um, and of course, this all relates to uh, infernalism because in Dark Ages, there's a lot of talk of um, about the different the differences between various heretical cults and of course that's quite important when you're dealing with with things like the church of cain and you know and and various other cults within cults within cults and it all gets rather complicated and how that all relates to the numerous christian cults and heretical cults at the time you know such as the cathars and um and the elk yeah and yeah the bogomils as well so um and of course what 
came up in my email discussions with uh, Shane on this about infernalism is of course how you can start looking at some of that from uh, from Dark Ages Vampire and how it's actually really quite useful for um, for Vampire the Requiem with uh, the Lancaster Sanctum because the Lancaster Sanctum has a lot to do with different creeds and of course in my own games I've also introduced that into Vampire so um, yeah infernalism it's it's cool <laughs> <laughs> Awesome, yeah. And uh, for you mage gurus, isn't there... There's a Sorcerer's Crusade supplement, uh, Path of Screams, I believe, which deals mm, entirely yes. with this. Yeah. Uh, I've heard very good things about that, but I don't really own any mage Sorcerer's Crusade books myself. Well, it's interesting in that it was... Uh, if I recall correctly, Phil Brucato wrote it because he wanted... He figured that if he didn't get do it himself, that there would be an Infernalism book come out sooner or later, and he wanted it, you know, quote-unquote, done right. Um, and it, it kind of it does delve into the topic with uh, a certain amount of enthusiasm, um, so it is it's certainly worth a look, and it has a fantastic cover too, which is what I always remember about it the most. Cool. And I think that's just about it for the mailbag segment. So with that, did I did I see did I see a message on uh, on Facebook suggesting that we cover the Georgia Guidestones in Secret Agency? Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> excellent. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I I told him that was in episode two. <laughs> um, we probably just hadn't gotten to that one yet. That's quite, that's quite acceptable. That's fine, but it's uh, yeah, good topic, good topic. Oh, definitely, definitely. Cool. And uh, with that, let's move on over to White Wolf News. All right, so uh, since our last episode, there's only been one product that's come out, and that is a uh, Mage of the Awakening book called Imperial Mysteries, out both in uh, PDF and now in print. And somebody wrote that. Uh, yeah, I can't remember who. Malcolm Shepard yeah. and some other guy. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. Where. Nobody wrote it. It's <laughs> fully formed. Um, <laughs> from the supernal yeah uh, it was a it was an entity's practice no one wa really wants to talk about it uh so dave i know we're going to be talking about uh, imperial mysteries a bit more later on in the show but would you like to uh just kind of give people a brief summary and uh get them interested in the book okay yeah so throughout mage the awakening since um, ever since the core book ever since the the original practice descriptions in the core book we've been teasing people about um, arc mages, about uh, mages who have gone beyond the levels of the arcana that are commonly known, who uh, the last, the first time the topic was really touched on, other than the core books, uh, and at six dots, you might be able to do this, was in... Uh, Tome of the Mysteries, which is a, a very well-received book, which had kind of a, a three or four-page uh, summary of uh, of the Art Mage's deal, and uh, people really liked it. And uh, then Sears uh, uh, of the Throne touched upon that touched upon that kind of topic in places because the seer art mages were said in Terminal Mysteries to still be part of their hierarchy so we showed them and um, it was the most fan requested book uh, in mage terms and 
And uh, yeah, so um, after a lot of Turquoise Mage books, we finally get to Imperial Mysteries and reveal all of the secrets that um, we've been gleefully hinting at since uh, Mage the Awakening came out. So uh, you get to see the Supernal Realms, you uh, get to see the uh, the High Arcana, um, you get mechanics for Ascension. Yeah, what more do you want? Uh, it is to mage as glories of the Most High is to Exalted. That's how I was always thinking of it when we were writing it. Cool. That sums it up perfectly, yeah. I was having a look through it today and uh, I can't think of much you've left out. So given that you wrote it, I would be surprised if you had. Good stuff. <clears throat> the other big news in the... Uh... White Wolf Verse is that they have a Kickstarter up for a deluxe oh, yeah. D20 companion. Mm-hmm. Uh, this I'm is pretty so upset about that. Because their goal is $50,000, and within like the uh, first two days, they've already gotten like 20000 So it's going pretty well so far. Uh, it's pretty it's interesting. Up to, up to almost 22000 I just checked before the show. Right, right. So it's actually it's slowed down a bit. Um, I'm actually like I'm really excited about this. I think it's a very cool idea. One of the prizes or uh, one of the the funding options is that you can actually uh, have a picture of you drawn in one of the books. So that's pretty cool. Uh, a lot of people are really excited about that. But I'm a little hesitant. I'm not sure if they should have gone with Kickstarter for this book uh, simply because it's a companion to a core book that's already come out. Uh, from the look of it, most of the people that are doing the funding are new users. They're, they're White Wolf fans that have come on. It doesn't seem like there's many people that are already like in the Kickstarter community that are coming over and supporting this. Uh, because, as I mentioned, it's a, it's a supplement. So, I don't know. What do you guys think? Well, I was, I was, I'm upset because I don't have the money to spare this month. Because <laughs> mm. I really like a copy. Um, so, I just have to uh, console myself with the, the, uh, the standard uh, non-deluxe. But I think it looks fantastic. And I'm interested in seeing, uh, I take your point that it's for a companion. It's an, a, an interesting choice for a Kickstarter. Uh, I think if they can make it work with a companion book, then that certainly bodes well for using Kickstarter as a model for core books and then certainly with the amount of excitement that's circulating around the 20th anniversary editions um if this can help us you know get okay i think wheel and mage are fairly certain but if this can help us get for example a changeling 20th edition or a wraith 20th anniversary mm-hmm. edition through kickstarter that then i get then i guess a thumbs up for me for that but i don't know if that's what they have in mind i'm just um speculating there I like the option, though, that uh, has just an Achille uh, running vampire for you if you pledge whatever it was, $100,000 or something. I forget, I forget what the total was. But... <laughs> that could be fun. All right. And uh, the other thing I found out about uh, is that there's other World of Darkness podcasts, and yes. I was completely unaware of the OWBN Hour of Power podcast, which has been around since uh, actually 2007. Uh, they mostly talk about LARP. As I was bringing up before the show, uh, it's like 80% racy banter and then 20% actual content, which isn't a bad thing. It means it's a really fun show. Uh, but but don't go to it expecting uh, very highbrow storytelling topics and the like. Uh, but still, it's pretty interesting. I've give a, given a couple episodes a listen. Uh, cool. And I've also found out that there's a there's another group uh, the OWBN Girls, uh, and they just had their first podcast as well, uh, which was with Eddie Webb, and they discussed 
sexism in gaming, which is a pretty uh. pretty hefty topic. Yeah, well, a good one to tackle. And for those people who don't know, uh, One World by Night is, um, from their website, a non-profit organization dedicated to creating links between White Wolf's Mind's Eye Theater LARP games around the world. And OWBN currently stretches to over 100 chronicles in the U.S., Canada, Brazil, New Zealand, Israel. Um, so, yeah, kind of, um, I don't know, an alternate, alternate Camerilla, maybe. I'm not sure. I, um, yeah, I think the history of it is... Is that uh, they broke away from the Camarilla when the Camarilla wanted to hit the restart button and like mm. reset all the characters to basic power level, um, and they just wanted to keep having their old characters in their old games. So it's just kind yeah. of a splinter group, uh, which has grown okay. into its own full organization. Oh, good stuff. Cool. Um, I think that's it for White Wolf news. Uh, did I miss anything? Dave, do you have any secret news you can tell us? <laughs> if I did, I would have to kill you, and it would involve crossing the Atlantic. So, no. No, uh, I'm afraid not. All right, well, without any uh, secret news, we'll have to move on to the secret frequency. Oh, uh, good link. It's under the stairs. All right, Chris, uh, what do we have tonight? Uh, tonight, we have on the secret frequency, Robert the Doll. <laughs> Here we go. In the early 1900s, a wealthy man by the name of Dr. Otto lived in Key West and took several servants, which were actually slaves, from the Bahamas. And what many speculate was actually an act of revenge, a bohemian servant gave Robert Eugene Otto a doll made of uh, wireframe, cloth and straw, and most likely a soul stone. Possibly the servant's son had passed away at the time, and so this, this stone contained the very soul of that dead child. This type of enchantment in some voodoo practices involves a small crystal being placed in the object, thus imbuing it with the power by taking the, a soul of its own. So. In essence, the servant had placed the soul of the son into this doll. Eugene's sister died around at the same time uh, he was given the doll and immediately took uh, Robert the doll into his possession. Eugene gave Robert the doll his name of Robert and uh, he, he made everyone else call him Eugene or Jean instead. So, so, Robert, so let's just clarify, Robert Eugene called the doll Robert, and then insisted on everyone calling him, from then on, Eugene. Uh, throughout his childhood, whenever something bad would happen, or something would be blamed on Eugene, he would say Robert did it. More troubling things began to occur, though. Uh, glassware and silverware were thrown about the dining room, servants locked out while they were on their nightly rounds, clothing torn up, and bedding was also disturbed when it was meant to have been unused. Uh, other beloved doll uh, toys belonging to Eugene began to turn up mutilated and brutalized while deep in the night. Uh, there was also sounds of giggling. Eugene would often be heard uh, playing joyfully in his toy room one moment, and then, after a solemn silence, the sound of a low conversation would trickle down to the servant's ears, first in Jean's voice, and then in an entirely different voice. Uh, sometimes Eugene's voice would sound agitated, but the responding voice only sounded insistent, and it was these moments that began to trouble first, uh, first the servants and then Miss Otto. Uh, on one occasion, the concerned mother would burst into the 
room uh, and finds the child and oddly and expectantly cowering in the corner of the room while his doll, Robert, was perched in a chair or on the bed, seemingly glaring down at the boy. Eugene would continue to have a close relationship with Robert until he left to study art in Paris, where he met his future wife, Anne. Uh, they married and returned to his former home, which was now known as the Artist House. Eugene had craftsmen construct a room scaled to the doll's size, uh, built into the third floor turret of his Victorian-style home. Furniture and ceilings were built to the exact scale. Uh, the marriage, however, between uh, Eugene and Anne was a disaster from the very beginning. Uh, Eugene insisted that Robert accompany them uh, everywhere, to the dining table and even to their next to their uh, wedding bed. <laughs> I have to laugh at the insanity of this, I'm sorry. Uh, children on their way home from school, and many had been interviewed, claimed that they would see Robert the doll moving around upstairs in the windows when no one was at home. And on some occasions, it was said that he would jump from the window, uh, from one window to the other, watching people as they went by. As Eugene aged and he became increasingly abusive to Anne, it was discovered that on many occasions he would lock her in a slanted closet beneath Robert's room under the stairs for several days at a time. After Eugene's death and burial, uh, Anne left for her family home in Boston and allowed the house to be rented out. Uh, when Anne left, she left Robert locked in the upstairs room and put in, a lease, in, put in the lease agreement that Robert must at all times remain the sole occupant of the attic room, or the contract was void. This remained true up until her death in 1976. The first new reports were from a plumber working after Anne left. The plumber reported, I was doing some work in the larger part of the attic of the house. The people there wanted to make it an additional room, so I was running the lines for a new toilet. The doll looked pretty creepy sitting there on a little chair holding its stuffed animal, but I had work to do, so I didn't think much about it at first. As I continued uh, my work, I had to make a few trips to get some parts from the van. Each time I returned, I could swear the doll had moved just a little bit. Like I said, I had work to do, so I ignored it. But when I was just about finished with the job, and started descending the stairs, I heard a little child giggling behind me. When I turned round, the doll was on the opposite side of the room. The first thing I did was to look to see where the kid was, and no one was there. I wasn't really frightened, but it was weird, so I just continued down the stairs and left. Wasn't really frightened, I don't believe that for a second. <laughs> <laughs> I know! <laughs> Bollocks to that man, he was, he was scared. Anyway. <laughs> Future occupants reported hearing noises upstairs, including footsteps, laughter, and crashes. Um, at this time, uh, the doll would be. Uh, where did I get to with this? Um, anyway, uh, there was sounds of this. Um, things have continued, but anyway, the um, the doll. We'll get to the simple bit, which is obviously the doll's being heard crashing around, making sounds. Um, when the doll was found giggling and holding a kitchen knife at the foot of the uh, new owner's bed, so there was some new owners at one point, uh, there wasn't any Eugene Otto to blame it on. The new owners left in a hurry, and Robert the Haunted Doll was moved to his new home in the East Montello Museum in Key West, where he is now well guarded. After many years, Robert was finally rediscovered uh, in storage, and due to popular demand, popular demand? Um, <laughs> was put on display. Many people have speculated that Robert was losing energy when he was locked in the chest, so 
the bit I missed, uh, sorry, listeners, but for a time the doll was locked in a chest. So yeah, this now is what the doll prompted is on... the uh, kitchen knife incident, isn't it? Yes. Yes. <laughs> anyway, um, so he's now uh, apparently he he was draining energy. So now he's um, on display, and there are accounts that three pacemakers have stopped. Uh, so uh, as people have been walking past uh, the display cabinet where the doll is. Uh, also, many reports of new camera batteries dying in front of him, uh, and you know similar things such as uh, film not developing properly, and the increased activity of the doll. Museum creators report that Robert often changes position overnight, even though he is locked behind glass in a case inside a brick museum uh, with three-inch wooden doors and bars on every window. People who come to see Robert also report his facial expressions changing before their eyes. That is, is there, it. Is there a reason they have to just set fire to this horrible thing? <laughs> <laughs> um, right. So, um, it's creepy enough as it is. Um, what would I immediately, uh, pull rules from as inspiration for this? Um, World of Darkness antagonist for New World of Darkness has, um, within it the rules for a creature called doll which is some form of uh, uh animated from bits of corpses obviously we have the soul stone so we can go down the mage route uh it could be a pandoran it could be a promethean of some form um guys any ideas i mean just reading this is just mind mind meltingly weird and yeah, so you only have to look at the picture of it and yeah. you just want to just destroy it on sight it's like some horrible little weasel monster, the picture. It really is unpleasant. And then what's even creepier is the doll has its own doll. This little furry <laughs> thing that it, that it carries that don't touch my doll, which is awful. Uh, the, the story itself is just filled with all manner of crazy stuff. You know, the guy who's, honey, well, it's bedtime. Oh, and uh, Robert's <laughs> coming with us. <laughs> it's and, child's uh, play for real. Well, when, when you first sent yeah. the link about the doll, and I thought, oh, okay, this is just like Chucky, but this is far, far, far more horrendous than, than you know, that little plastic thing ever could be in the movie. And, and like you, I thought of some kind of freaky little Promethean uh, and the major soul stone. The fact that, you know, that it actually is called a soul stone is uh, it's a, an easy shoe-in right there um, for some part of a dead mage's soul that's trying to exact... I, uh, revenge, uh, simply trying to live its life, wanting to be treated like a, a person that it no longer can be. If the mage himself is long gone, um, some fragment of his soul may kind of remain and know it's trapped in this diminutive body. And, and, you know, it could just just want a normal life and its concepts and attitudes and outlooks are just so twisted that when someone locks it in a sea chest, it's like, I'm going to get I'm going to get a knife and I'm going to kill those bastards. Oh, of course, a wraith is obviously uh, uh, an option. You know that it becomes some kind of fetter for uh, for one of uh, for one of the dead. Uh, the, the well, and you go back right back to the beginning of the story. The child of the, of the slave yeah. who died, some kind of you know revenge upon his his owner who may have been a cruel owner. And now I'm going to put my my twisted child spirit into your family life and, and you know see what hijinks ensue. What I thought of was interesting, given the, the bizarre way that um, Eugene uh, himself behaves, that it occurred to me that it could be some kind of focus for mental influence. And, you know, stepping away from the, from the doll story a little bit, I like the idea of um, certain practices of magic being a, a kind of avenue for psychological pressure, and that the magic actually is happening 
it, the magic is being done to the person by themselves. You know, you tell somebody you've cursed them, you make a big deal about how you've cursed somebody, and then that leads them to attribute uh, misfortune in their life to you, even though it's just simple misfortune. They then start to attach significance to, to your deeds and your words, even though there is none there. So you can have this, you know, this doll that's come into your life or some, some other item, and you're led to believe that this thing is possessed and evil and is causing you to do all sorts of horrible things, when in fact it's just you. You know, you're just mad, and you you are in fact some kind of lunatic who wants to sleep with a doll and your wife and put her in a cupboard when she misbehaves. That's uh, quite interesting you say that because you can also then go down um, a route that's uh, related to um, spirits and spirit manifestation uh, from that's detailed a lot in uh, Book of Spirits, where, as I said, like itself, it could be a scenario which is self-fulfilling where the person believes it so much that. The, the, this item becomes an anchor for it, and so becomes. Uh, I'm trying to think of the term. It's not a hollow. Uh, what's it in, uh, to do with spirits? But it, you know, it becomes a nexus for spiritual energy, and so because of of what are in in essence actually mundane actions, but it's that level of belief causing yeah. it to to breach yeah. over the veil. Um, yeah. Yeah. Also, if you happen to be, you know, a vampire with dominate or <laughs> another yeah. supernatural, you can you can have somebody believing that it's the doll that's doing them doing this to them, or the doll is making them do it. When in fact you're sitting, you know, half a city away in a vampire lair, exerting mental influence over some poor hapless mortal who who believes it's all coming from the doll, and that could be a, a nice way to preserve the masquerade. No, it was the doll that made him do it. it wasn't me. Or it could yeah. be some curse item. Uh, it could be a doll that's been brought from Arcadia. Um, just to go with the creepy changeling factor, because you know dolls are creepy enough. Add in the changeling factor, and then it's really a bit freaky. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Definitely, Chris. Um, that's what I was thinking. Actually, what if Robert the doll was actually the fetch of the real yes. Robert? Yes. 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 Uh, and yes. you know, Robert comes back, and, and that's why he has this weird like connection to the doll and uses the same name for him. Uh, but when he comes back, he takes his rightful place, but doesn't destroy the fetch. And mm. oh, uh, wow. as such, yeah. like the uh, the fetches, what do you call it? The I want to call it the mind, but that's the uh, the seeming of the of the, mask. the changeling. Yeah, the yeah. mask. Right. Uh, well, its its image disappears, and it just becomes the rag doll that it usually is. Because the fetch, when it's destroyed, becomes like a rag doll or just yeah. bits of junk, really. Um, so that, that could be a very interesting idea uh, to have going on in your story where the fetch is still alive, it just looks like a doll in this case. That's really nice, yeah. Mm. Well, I say nice, but I mean... <laughs> <laughs> Not nice. The right sort of <laughs> Yeah. Um, so I've been told there are, there are more horrible doll stories, um, so I will ensure that we get those and link Adam in as well because... You can never have enough um, stories about supernatural dolls going around. Mm. You said your wife, knives. your wife, your wife pointed this one out to you. You said, "Yeah, she pointed." Yeah, out thanks for that. Yeah. This, this, this thing has weirded me out the entire day. Yeah. <laughs> it really, really has upset me. <laughs> cool. Yeah, she looks quite happy with herself. <laughs> you weirded out everyone. Yeah. Okay. So she found it on her Tumblr feed, so she, she'll she find more of this stuff. She, you have more stories like this? 
She nods her head with a kind of a sigh of, yes, there is more of this weirdness. Crazy. Crazy. I think that's enough. I, I, I mean, again, everything we've said for New Order Darkness is totally applicable for Old Order Darkness very easily, um, as we keep saying with these things. So, yeah, go out there, players. Well, uh, storytellers, scale players with haunted dolls. Um, what, what's nice about it is it's non-categorical, you know, it, it, it ties into yes. that, that great advice that the New World of Darkness has really brought into, into allowed to, you to fold back into your Old World of Darkness games, which is step away from the five or six or seven, you know, established supernatural types and make it something where the answer is, well, I don't know, you know, just something creepy, don't know what it is. Great. Uh, we also have a very esteemed guest with us. Dave, do you have any uh, any ideas or suggestions with this? When I read it in the show notes, I was just hung up on the fact that he changed his name <laughs> and gave it to the doll, gave his real name to the doll. Like he'd... Like the doll had become a copy of him or was growing into a copy of him and then when he died, it was like, um, uh, sort of like a, a half ghost of him. Mm. So, yeah, then I started thinking fetches and then you mentioned it. So... Um, yeah, some kind of um, like it's absorbing the idea of being a person along with their life energy, which is why it's uh, stopping the pacemakers of everybody that comes to look at it in the museum. Uh, that kind of thing. It could be. Uh, I mean, yeah, it could be uh, make for a really creepy story. Um, it'd be very good for a hunter game, actually. Mm, yeah. I'd like to see the individual who found this thing in storage at the museum and thought, I know, let's get this out again, <laughs> put it on display. <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah. yeah, we need to, I think we need to find, we need more, more creepy items that just happen to be on display in museums around the world because it, it, it's just being, trying to get into the mentality of the people that, that, you know, set up the displays at museums and just go, yeah, let's, let's put that out and not really paying attention to the history of the thing. Well, what's great about it is it's you know if it's it's a real world place you can you know if somebody is is in Florida go ahead go down there take some photos. Don't yeah, take, make it tell us what it's like. That would be really good. Awesome. I mean, we had um, a story about dolls way way back, and a couple of our listeners uh, actually tried to go to the location where these dolls were, but either the house had burned down or it had been swallowed up into the umbra or something. I don't know, but they couldn't find it. Uh, but if, if anyone's able to uh, to actually verify the existence of Robert the Doll and, uh, and do so safely, please, don't go alone, then that would be really cool to see. Don't look him in the eye. Yeah. <laughs> cool, cool. All right, I think that's it for the secret frequency. So let's move on over to the Q&A segment with Dave Brookshaw. Topics of highbrow storytelling. All right, Dave. Okay. Let's let's start off simple. Uh, why don't you establish your geek cred? Establish my geek cred. Okay. I have been role-playing for far longer than seems safe. Um, since primary school, I've the longest I've ever been not in a game is about four or five months. For over 20 years. At any given time, I'm subjecting one of my games to uh, public consumption by writing them up um, on RPGNet as actual play threads. And it was 
doing that and uh, reviewing uh, Mage of the Ascension books towards the end of that line and uh, talking about Mage of the Ascension online things that uh, brought me to the attention of uh, some of the guys at White Wolf which is why I was then um, persuaded they didn't take much persuading to um, <laughs> submit a, uh, a, a writing sample uh, and uh, that got me working so I've gone from being a uh, gone from being a big big fan to uh, putting my ideas on the firing line and um, well so far people seem to be enjoying it and uh, and buying it I think uh, Imperial Mysteries um, it it's Doing pretty well. Last time I checked on Drive Through RPG, um, we I think we passed the gold medal, which uh, puts us in quite a high percentage of. Uh, Excellent! Congratulations. Things that are going on. Yeah. Thank you. So uh, yes, um, I think the most important thing for my geek red is that I have to have a specially reinforced bookshelf. Uh, in my house to carry the weight <laughs> nice. of all the hardback New World of Darkness books because awesome. it, um, it broke three IKEA ones. <laughs> Outstanding. Excellent. I know. I, yeah, I can understand that quite well. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Cool. What did you start with? Were you a, were you a D&D Red Boxer or Call Cthulhu or? Uh, this is one for the Brits. Uh, I started with Fighting Fantasy. Oh, okay. excellent! Ah, the books or the uh... the books originally, and then uh, did you did you ever complete Warlock of Firetop Mountain without cheating? Uh, not without cheating. I did <laughs> complete uh, Forest of Doom without cheating, though. Um, oh. I didn't get anywhere through Creature of Havoc. Caverns of the Snow Witch was good. I think I'm back to re-establishing my geek cred. Anyway, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so there I was. I wasn't even ten, and. Um, I liked to. Uh, I I really like those game books. Um, for for people that don't know what we're talking about, um, these are like um, uh, choose fancy novels that are broken up into paragraphs, and um, you have choices. You get to the end of a paragraph, and it's like if you want to go left down the corridor, uh, turn to paragraph eighty-seven. If you want to go right, turn to paragraph one hundred and five, and that kind of thing. So it's like think- a big branching narrative. White Wolf did a joke one, didn't they? They did, Last, yes. 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 Last April Fool. Yeah. Paths of so. storytelling. Yeah, if Bloody you want to be burned by the Malkavian, turn to page 84. That kind of thing. Uh, anyway, um, I liked to um, invent my own ones. Uh, I'd, like, uh, I'd, I'd draw the branching path for myself and then write them. And... Um, and uh, chop the paragraphs up, um, randomise the order of them, and then um, uh, write, it all, uh, write it all out in a notebook. And I thought I was awesome. Cool. And um, then um, <clears throat> I got a uh, a book called Out of the Pit, which was pretty much just a list of all of the creatures that were meant to be that were in any of those uh, fancy books, and that turned out to actually be the monster manual equivalent for the role-playing game version of it, mm. which oh, is called Fighting Fight Fantasy. Fight. Yeah, I've seen. I think I've seen that one in a very old magazine somewhere because that was yeah. uh, that was back in the days when Games Workshop actually made role-play games. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. 
And then I got that and uh, found out what a actual role-playing game was. And then I got the D&D um, Red, the the version of old D&D without the A on it that went up to about 5th level. Alright. Um, isn't it... Because uh, I had a box like it's... Um, I think they refer to it as, like, what, classic D&D? Something it, like cause, that, yeah. Because basically I got started into um, role-playing with classic D&D, and if you check the edition, it's like 18th edition, so... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's the stuff. Uh, so, yeah, um, and it just went on from there. Um, it, it was always kind of on the edge of my uh, on the edge of my awareness. I mean, the original LARP, um, Treasure Trap, oh my um, God, yeah. was um, held at a castle near about 10 miles away from the town I lived in. So it was... Um, and one of the reasons I went to the university I went to was that the second oldest LARP, also called Treasure Trap, which started as a bus group taking people, taking students to the original LARP, um, was there. And which un- which university was that? Durham. Oh, really? I was, I was born yeah. in Durham. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so, uh, yes. so, so, red and white or black and white? Me? Yeah. Oh, uh, well, when I lived up there, I used to go to the... Uh, the Newcastle rugby team. I've never oh, uh, set foot in either football stadium. A very avant-garde. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that, uh, yeah, early explorations in role-playing games were um, old D&D and then a strange sort of an AD&D first edition old D&D mashup where we'd got our hands on the Fiend Folio didn't have a player's handbook, couldn't figure out what some of the uh, expanded monster stats were used for, so made it up ourselves. Uh, Traveller. Excellent. Yeah, and uh, then sometime in the early 90s, a uh, a guy in my game group brought Vampire the Masquerade home, and uh, my bookshelves have never been the same since. (laughs) Yeah. Cool. Mm -hmm. Cool. So, um, Dave, we got a lot of questions from the listeners, and uh, let's just get started with those. So, this comes from Peter, and he's wondering what your favorite RPG is that you've never run. That I've never run? Uh, Hellas Worlds of Sun and Stone. It's a uh, science fiction uh, ancient epic uh, game. Um, Greeks in space. um, Ah. uh, uh, that was meant to have a bit of reverb on it, like you know, Muppets and stuff. Um, yeah, thanks. <laughs> um, it's uh, retelling uh, ancient Greek myths um, through a uh, semi-science fiction uh, setting, in that uh, uh, all of the uh, the cities are planets. Troy is a planet, for instance. Uh, the uh, the people all have uh, uh, the hoplite soldiers. Um, have uh, jetpacks and laser swords, and um, the version of hyperspace uh, that their spaceships go through to travel between planets has a... Um, it's almost like uh, the hyperspace from Babylon 5, or like, uh, by the look of it, it's like a... Um, uh, it's specifically called a wine-dark void, because uh, that's uh, how the sea is described in, uh, in the Odyssey. 
Um, and it has a breathable atmosphere. So you take off from a planet in your spaceship, um, get uh, far enough away from the planet, and then you slip into hyperspace, and uh, you unfurl the sails, pop all the hatches open, get up onto the deck, and uh, and uh, sail uh, between the stars, uh, occasionally oh, fighting wow. off harpies. <laughs> that's, that's that fantastic. sounds awesome. Who's yeah. that by? It's great. Uh, it's by. Uh, let me reach and get it. Capera, uh, K H E P R A Publishing. Um, it's an Omni System game. If you ever, uh, the guys who wrote it are uh, Michael Fiegel and Jerry Grayson. Uh, if you ever see it, you'll spot it on a uh, game store shelf because it's sideways. <laughs> um, the book's the same. Hellas books are the same proportion as uh, most role-playing game books, but um, horizontally, so the um, the spine is on the short edge. Which oh, like a okay. bit, coffee table book. They're, they're in landscape. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so. Oh, and uh, centaurs are squid. Uh, uh, centaurs are squid aliens that um, ride around in big robot horse, big quadruped <laughs> robot. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's uh, it's pretty awesome, um, and uh, I would be running it instead of Mage right now. Only uh, one of my players didn't really like it when he read through it, so I'm waiting for the other. I'm waiting for another group to have an opening, and yeah. uh, buying up and uh, contributing to the Kickstarters to uh, have uh, supplements published as much as I can. What's what the like? Just yeah, waiting. I was going to say the setting sounds uh, a bit like some of the is it Dan Simmons sci-fi series? I think it's a, is it Hyperion. Hyperion. I've heard of yeah, or well, it's something along those lines that has again it has like the idea of like uh, you know the Greek gods and so forth in but in space. Yeah, I'm sure there's something one of those. I I know of it. I need to read it. Yeah, it's on my list of things to do. But yeah, that sounds awesome. That. Cause, that um, um, the comparison to Hyperion, which is one of my favourite books, before Dan Simmons got. Struck down by the terrible brain eater, and uh, <laughs> began to uh, think that uh, Muslims were going to destroy the world. Um, yeah. No, terrible, terrible shame. Um, yeah, uh, that was uh, that comparison was what attracted me to the game. Well, that and Ulysses Thirty One. Cool. I can see why. I can see why it's a it's a cool game. Cause, like one of my favourite sci-fi role-play games is Fading Suns. So. You know, oh, anything yeah. kind of epic like that's awesome. Cool. Brilliant. Awesome. And uh, we got another question from Peter, which is, uh, okay. what current game line or company do you feel has the strongest products? Uh, obviously, you can't say White Wolf. Okay. No. Uh, well, my notes actually have White Wolf, obviously, in bracket, <laughs> and then Post-Human, uh, the guys who make Eclipse Phase. Right. Yeah, Eclipse Phase, they give that out for free, don't they? You can get a Adam Jorian company. Uh, Posthuman are uh, some of the guys who split from Catalyst back in um, uh, back uh, when Shadowrun went through financial yeah. troubles a couple of years ago. Um, uh, they've they've taken a Eclipse Phase is all about um, it's. Uh, it, it's about like the evolving um, digital societies. It's um, uh, there, there are stats in it to track your reputation on social networks. 
that uh, that kind of thing and they're they're very forward thinking and um one of the things that the posthuman guys decided to do was that they were completely um, do an end run around any considerations of game piracy by seeding it on torrent sites themselves. Hmm. You Stop. can go and find a free copy um, as a PDF. Uh, you can go to Drive Through RPG and pay for a PDF if you want to, um, or you can buy a real, you can buy a physical copy of the book. And um, it's published under a Creative Commons license. You you're allowed to um, strip all the pictures out and uh, just throw it around your game groups as Word files. Um, use the images on um, player handouts that you made yourselves. They're anything you like, as long as you give them credit for it and you don't try to make any money off it. Wow, that's really good. I mean, it's what everyone does anyway. So yeah, yeah that's pretty good. And it works. Um, they uh, they announced uh, they're one of the few game companies that announces their uh, results at the end of the years. You know uh, how they're doing, and uh, uh, people do still buy it. I know uh, in my group uh, because I run it. Um, we've got uh, one copy of it. One guy did take uh, one of the copies that. Posthuman themselves seeded um, as a PDF for uh, for quick reference, and then we've we've actually got four hardback versions of the core book, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, it, it's it's basically free advertising. Is, um, yeah. The the people who would pirate a game were never going to pay for it anyway. Oh, not very true. Yeah, uh, and the the products themselves have fantastic production values. Uh, Eclipse Phase books are they're, they're beautiful. You really have to. You should check it out. Um, it's it's kind of a, a different sort of horror to White Wolf games. Um, it's uh, much more. Um, uh, humanity has uh, stepped boldly out into the universe and found that the universe is big and dark and cold, and um, the answer to um, where have where are all the aliens? Why hasn't anyone contacted us? Is they're all dead. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, and uh, humanity has um, barely survived um, the same kind of event that killed all of them, uh, and, uh, and maybe doomed at any moment. One of several dozen uh, existential threats may might wipe transhumanity out. And uh, yeah, really check it out. The more kind of I would say in comparison to because I'm looking to run something once I've got my gaming group going here, but it, it seems like a more kind of highbrow version of, um, I would say, maybe a bit like uh, Cthulhu Tech. So again, you know, like the horrors on in, out in space, and of course humanity now has technology to go there, and it's like, oh shit, didn't really want to come here. Uh, yeah, and uh, the, those two games? Um, yeah. After they split from Catalyst, those two games were published by, um, I want to say Sandstorm, but I'm not entirely sure about it. Yeah, something like that. They're off the next to one another at Gen Con, that kind of thing. They they share over booths. yeah, Eclipse Face has a lot more about um, if you can reduce the the technology exists in the game world. Um, it's like the uh, Takeshi Kovacs novels um, to uh, 
people have implants in their necks called cortical stacks which uh, record their consciousness. Uh, so if they die, uh, they're made out of like diamond-hard altered carbon material. Uh, when they die, you can take that out and uh, read their mind out into a computer and uh, uh, put it into a new body. Um, and then uh, the te- and then society adapts to that by um, making it a, a thing where you know why wait until you die? You can just change bodies as easily as putting on a new set of clothes. And it deals with the implications of that. The game is about the uh, the implications of, uh, of that kind of technology and um, uh, the horrible, horrible things it does to society. Or also the really hopeful things it does to society. You know, it's about change. Change that might kill everybody, but might be really good. Or might be a bit of both. And... Excellent. Cool. All right. Uh, I'm going to combine the next two questions. Okay. Uh, so... What is the best thing and the worst thing to happen in the pen and paper RPG industry in the past 20 years? And how has that affected, do you feel, uh, D&D 5th edition? When I was a D&D player, because, you know, um, everybody... I, I, I was a D&D player. I did play AD&D. Um, I played AD&D 2nd edition from um, about... Um, uh, I want to say quite early on in that edition's run, through mm-hmm. to um, through to the end. You know, I, I even got I even bought skills and powers books. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know, and uh, <laughs> yeah, um, third edition came out. Um, when I was just leaving university, so I I got the um, the third edition core books, had a vague idea for a storyline upon reading them, um, ended up running that storyline using Exalted instead. As you do. <laughs> um, I did play a D20 game. Uh, I, I played a third edition Dragonlance game very late in the day. And then I got the fourth edition core books and ran one session of it. And that's it. So my my experience with latter D&D is pretty much just idly reading it, reading a D20 or a fourth ed book when I've picked it up off somebody's shelf. Um, you know, uh, when the D20 boom was going on, I was very much in a... Um, uh, I was very much in, in a white wolf mood. The worst thing to ever happen to role planes was the uh, uh, the death of settings, or the uh, the squeezing of settings. I mean, the the TSR days they put out so much evocative setting material that they went bust doing it. Uh, because their mm, response yeah. to financial insecurity was to just continue churning out new box sets, which was great for the consumer, but um, not so good for them as a company. Um, and it ended poorly. And y- you think about all the, uh, the the classic world of darkness and Fading Suns and Blue Planet and Shadowrun and... Um, you know all those all those great games, and maybe this is just because you know those are the games that came out during my teenage years um, and early twenties. But even the Forgotten Realms, compare its um, second edition uh, material to its D twenty material, and then to its fourth edition material, and um, 
you know, back in back in the day, you had um, uh, the rules for um, role play games were uh, very contained in the core books, and then the supplements were much more um, uh, they, they were much more um, setting oriented. Yeah, and. Um, and then in the D20 days, um, they uh, half the book would be taken up by prestige classes and feats, and then in the first mm. edition days, uh, um, three quarters of the book would be taken up by um, uh, races, um, uh, new uh, character classes, and, um, and list of powers. Uh, so the setting material has been squeezed. And uh, I think it's a reaction to the downsides of Metaplot going too far and throwing the uh, uh, throwing the baby out mm. um, which has left us with um, some games which maybe take uh, the uh, the toolkit notion slightly too far um, uh, if you have no central setting to a uh, to a game then uh, there's nothing for di- fans from different groups to engage with one another about. Uh, you don't build a, a community based around your game, and um, uh, because nobody talks about your game, your game dies. Because um, word of mouth advertising is the only thing keeping a, uh, a role playing game alive nowadays. Does that make sense? That does yeah, make, that kind of makes some sense. Of sense. Yeah. Yeah. When you what you were saying about uh, settings being uh, you know, thrown out and how it attracts players. Is that also, would you say, a possible reason for why some players may... Um, I think this has come up in discussions about New World of Darkness, and in particular, like, Vampire will, will sometimes... Because they have this this more contemporary attitude that you can take a, a rule system in, or a game set system and, you, and the idea that you can run it, run it any way you want... Sometimes they 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 have a bad experience with a game because the setting it, there isn't enough setting in the books they're buying in the initial book they're buying to guide them in running the game as the game was designed as it as it was designed because I sometimes have this issue with some people's attitudes towards how Vampire the Requiem is as in how they're running it sometimes is they're trying to go too far away from what it was originally designed for and that's and that may be because their attitude coming to the game based upon their attitudes built from other games that are very setting light. I don't know. Yeah, mm, sure. And if you look at Vampire, you know, uh, Vampire is not GURPS, Vampire than Requiem. It's, no. Uh, yeah, it, it is not a settingless uh, template. Vampire the Requiem has a setting. I, I actually kind of prefer it to Vampire the Masquerade setting. Um, Yay! um, uh, But if you compare uh, the Requiem core book right at the start of the new one to Mm. Changelings core book, um, you can see a difference there, yeah? There's a a difference in emphasis as um, the the latter New World of Dance games there... Uh, they all have settings, but the lad and New World of Darkness games, I don't know. Um, it's like the, the core books are more experienced at showing them off. Mm. Um, certainly, I think um, the best thing that ever happened in Mage of the Awakening was uh, when the books stopped apologising for not being Mage of the Ascension. Yeah. Absolutely. 
that mm. might be a bit controversial, but we'll get to that. <laughs> awesome. Indeed. All right. Really quick, when you play chess, what piece do you lead with? <laughs> yeah, thanks, Beckett. Uh, thanks for that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I thought long and hard about this, and I'm going to say a knight for every few steps forward, I end up going strangely sideways. <laughs> Interesting. Excellent. Okay. I'll, I'll agree with the knight. That's always a good one to lead with. Cool. All right, now this this question I kind of modified. It's one of Beckett's. And uh, okay, if there were an '80s World of Darkness cartoon, what would it be like, and would it be re-released on DVD today? You ever seen that uh, YouTube parody of Watchmen Babies? Yeah. Uh, no, I haven't. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, I, I've just got this uh, horrible image of a um, uh, of a uh, a, a toned down. Um, turned down to get past the Saturday morning censors, um, cell shaded probably by Hanna Barbera, um, <laughs> <laughs> thing where um, every uh, uh, where the, there's Vamp Boy and uh, Werewolf Girl and so on. It'd be very much like the Super Friends um, DVD. Yeah, I think it probably would have come out. Um, it would probably would have been on sale for about two months before it got pulled off the shelves for not selling. And but <laughs> but now uh, in but uh, nowadays uh, in the advent of Blu-ray, the DVDs of it would uh, command very high prices on eBay. It'd be kind of a, a cult thing, you know. People would um, uh, people would put it on YouTube for uh, uh, for geek cred value. Like look look what I've got. Kind of like how the vampire TV show ended up. Yep, country yep. the embraced, yeah. That's really good that. Interesting. Alright, well you already you already answered the question uh whether you can tell us about any secret projects or not. You said you'd have to kill us, so we'll avoid that one. Yeah. yeah. Um <laughs> does anybody ever answer that? Um like maybe once or twice. Uh, someone said, Okay, here's what's coming. And we like really once or and then once there was one one guest who answered it and midway through the sentence we heard like a sniper shot in the background and <laughs> light just went well, dead, so you know. They do have ninjas, uh, we have to be careful. The the thing is, um I never know how much to say or not. Um so uh, I normally don't. I, I never even admit to working on a book until somebody else has. Um, on the um, uh, on the basis that the, uh, uh, the White Wolf NDA ninjas will kill him first and give me enough time to run away. <laughs> <laughs> um, so thank you, David Hill, who has admitted um, to working on the Vampire Blood Sorcery book, um, because uh, yeah, cool. Um, cool. So, you, can't, uh, you can't tell us what that is, though. No, uh, okay. apart from um, <laughs> the, the fact that there is a Vampire Blood Sorcery book coming out. Oh, cool. um, I, I, I think uh, Russell Bailey's been on the forums already exp uh, explaining about it. But it's a, it's, a, it's a fair bet that it will be about blood sorcery in some shape or form. Yes, yes, really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah um, there's, you know, um, just before I, I came on here, I was typing away on um, uh, on a project that I'm really excited about, but I just can't tell you <laughs> yeah yeah cool cool and uh the last question this is always a tough one it comes from martin uh what has been your favorite book to write thus far my favorite oh it's like 
<laughs> People always ask you to pick. Okay, some writers will tell you oh, my favorite bird. That's like asking me to pick my favorite child. But yeah, that's easy. You know, for me, it's like you know, which week of sleepless nights do you, do you like the most? <laughs> um, okay. Uh, thinking back, and I think it's probably gonna be Sears of the Throne. Yeah, cool. I think it's gonna okay. be Sears of the Throne. Sears was the first major book that I worked on. The fact that they had written all of the other, all the Pentacle Order books, um, meant that I knew. As a fan, that the Sears of the Throne book must be coming out, and that impetus of um, if uh, uh, you know that could be really, really good, or it could go horribly, horribly wrong, that's what finally gave me the kick up the ass to um, start writing. Just the mm. the, the the prospect of uh, being able to work on it, and it wound up being the second book that I wrote for. Cool. So, uh, yeah. It was the start of many um, friendships and uh, professional collaborations, and I just really enjoyed um, doing an antagonist right. You know, uh, That's a great really, book. Uh, really getting into the uh, getting under the skin of the horrible sellout bastards. Yeah, it is an awesome, awesome book. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Chris, you got a bunch of questions about it, don't you? I do have some. I have a. I I do have something lined up for it in particular. Okay, since you since David's mentioned Sears of Thrones, then I think we'll combine this into my two questions into one, which is really how would you explain the book to storytellers and what it would offer their to their game? And when you were writing this book, what was your main objective that you wanted to achieve? with this book what, what kind of thing did you really want to ensure was added to mage and obviously because you're quite experienced with mage the ascension then i i guess um how important was it to to differentiate between um the seas of throne and obviously major ascension's technocracy the yeah yeah well the seas of throne uh they are cipher in the matrix mm-hmm um, Mage presents a setting in which um, the universe as we know it was the creation of a unspecified large number of um, ancient mages who ascended to the supernal realms, broke the world doing it, and uh, set themselves up as the gods of reality. Um, they have uh, designed uh, our world um, as to be as they like it. Uh, they can't really stop mages from awakening, but um, if um, uh, but um, some mages, because you know, uh, if um, inevitably, if you uh, if you give a group of human beings the knowledge that um, there's these people outside of their group which have power over them, um, many of them will try to fight. Um, many of them will try to hide and some of them will try to sell out. So, um, they're, they're not the, uh, if reality is a prison, they're not the prison guards. 
um, they're the uh, they're the people who are on special privileges uh, for ratting on their uh, cellmates. Uh, they get nicer bunk beds and uh, better food. So um, they're the traitors. Uh, they're the reason the world of darkness is a world of darkness. Um, they are specifically instructed um, by the Exarchs to find every way that humanity innovates to make life worse for itself and uh, promote the shit out of it. Great. Uh, in exchange for power. Uh, and the promise that, uh, you know, one day if they work hard enough and uh, uh, they, if they follow orders, work hard enough and backstab enough of their fellow seers, then uh, one day they might be allowed to ascend and uh, uh, join the people outside. So in your very description of, of the seers of the throne there, they're, um, they, compared to the technocracy of major ascension, they're very different beast um, yeah even though even though they fill the kind of the same sort of space in the two games side by side they feel that natural immediate antagonist within the game they're they're quite a different beast if anything when reading the seers of throne they're actually they're a hell of a lot more scarier than the technocracy they make the technocracy look yeah. like they look they make the technocracy look like um look like uh, organized fun the technocracy you're like we want organized fun. You can do all that as long as it follows the rules. Whereas the Seers of the Throne are more like, no, you can't have any fun. We've got the toys. Screw you. Um, in in yeah. some way, it's almost, it's almost like the technocracy could be some subset of a Seers of the Throne ministry, you know, one of their well, the technocracy toys. Right, well, yes. well this, is, <laughs> this goes back to when, where I said, like, um, I mentioned that it almost feels like where... There's the point in the Sears Throne book, and it's of course it's mentioned the Free Council, where the Free Council, before they became the Free Council, were offered the choice of joining the Sears of Throne. So that technology could be the way of like, um, in short, was like having control over technology and that modernism and uh, that all the all the things that humanity creates for itself without magic. Um, yeah. It was like that's almost like if if the if Sears could have got that, there would have been like the last lock on the door to turn the, the new World of Darkness setting into the classic World of Darkness setting. So it's like, that to me feels like the natural splinter point where if the Free Council had gone, okay, yeah, we like the deal, they would have become the technocracy, but they didn't. And that's why it's a great setting because it, it feel, you can just, you can see that, that splinter point in the two realities. Yeah. Um, I think it's, I think the word technocracy is even in the core book. Um, whenever I've tried to bring it up again in books, um, yeah. uh, editors have uh, deleted it. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it, it the Free Council say they didn't want they want they didn't want te uh, technocracy. They wanted democracy or or something yeah, like that. A great the great it's about the great refusal. Refusal, yeah. So so what's um. So, so, so your your main your main objective then in writing the Seers of the Throne book, making uh, serious hell, just, or is to make them uh, compared to the technocracy. Yeah. Because um, uh, the the technocracy are uh, a a laddered uh, approach um, or a, an ivory tower where uh, the majority of technocrats. You know, they they're well intentioned idiots. Yeah. They don't know that they're mages. 
and um, uh, they don't realise what they're doing. They think that they're protecting uh, that they're protecting the world, um, yeah. while they're actually they're just controlling the world. The uh, the technocrats who are high enough up to be to know that they are mages are effectively, you know, they're they're screwing their own um, acolytes. Um, their own uh, their own servants uh, and the rest of humanity as a whole um, out of the belief that um, you know uh, a little um, uh, a little totalitarianism is just not enough and um, you know uh, unfortunately because the guide to the technocracy was written as most old world of darkness books were from a uh, an in character perspective uh, yeah. you got the view of the ground level agents and um did malcolm go on about this when he had him on a about, little uh, <laughs> yeah. um okay the guide to the technocracy a technocratic player character has how much they are brainwashed as a stat <laughs> yes Right, these this is not to be taken literally as they are the good guys. No. Um, you you know, playing a technocrat who realizes that um, uh, who realizes what the organization he works for is really for um, is a hell of a dramatic chronicle. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I've played I've kind of played that kind of role as a kind of a Jack Bauer. Uh, NWO grey agent uh-huh, who cool. kind of just knew that he knew that his entire parts of his organization was so damned corrupt and so he was kind of like screw you where uh, yeah 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 we had one Good where fun. she discovered she discovered halfway through she was a clone was <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly and um and yeah uh, and when i ran a technocracy chronicle that's that's where i went for that's what i went for i had the uh, the hard bit and uh, new world order man in gray and the uh, progenitor who um, found out that she was a clone weird <laughs> but yeah um uh, but also the iteration x agent who um had amnesia and the bad guy turned out to be his uh, own mind which had been uploaded to the digital web as oh. malevolent entity and wanted its body back. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, um, yeah. So, Sears of the Throne, they know they're bastards. <laughs> yeah. The, the main, because we knew that people had um, inter, where Guide to the Technocracy was in our minds, uh, it was in the place that um, we knew how it had been interpreted uh, by um, by a lot of people. Um, rightly or wrongly, and we knew that we wanted to be straight about it. You know, uh, mm. I think there's even a sidebar about, uh, but can't I have good intentions? And you know, uh, try to, if I've been put in charge of a uh, of managing a dictator, can't I make him be nice? Which basically goes on around. Um, you know, people expect dictators to do dictator-like things, and uh, if you go around um, trying to, uh, if you go around trying to improve the lot of people um, under your by manipulating your dictator towards the uh, the cause of human happiness, then uh, one of his own people is probably going to kill him, yeah. and then you'll have to start again. The best that you can hope for uh, as a seer is to take a small community and. Um, brainwash the hell out of it 
and uh, run it as your own private little uh, fife, like the guys in um, uh, the the story book for uh, Major yeah. Reign of the Exarchs. Reign of the Exarchs, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the little English village that plays cricket all the time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 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 and, uh, uh, yeah, the perfect society as foreseen by a, a series of friends, English vicar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I live there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I've lived there as well. Yeah. So cool. um yeah, we wanted them to be um clear on the fact that they were making life worse for everybody in the um hope of reward. Uh and um when writing it we wanted to get across the um uh, the fact that, you know, they're they're horrible people who use other people. Um, mm. The the Sears of the Throne signature artifact lets them possess a sleeper so that they can walk around and taunt Pentacle Mages, um, safe in the knowledge that if the Pentacle Mage gets annoyed and kills them, then they've just killed an innocent person, and the Seer himself is laughing. Mm. Um, so um, when I did the um, uh, the monsters at the end of the book. Um, the uh, the the servants, uh, the new mage equivalent of you know hit marks and uh, men in black and such. Um, they are all humans that have um, had something terrible done to them. Sweet. Uh, they're, they're all um, uh, all seer minion races, if you will. Uh, are all um, uh, they're all modified humans or people that have had uh, artifacts used on them or people that have had their um, souls eaten uh, have big bite taken out of their souls by a uh, creature from lower depths that kind of thing and um, yeah just that element of um, casual destruction of, uh, of other people's uh, of other people's hopes and dreams is uh, what, what we were really going for hmm right so Dave um not too long ago on RPG.net, there was a thread, you probably saw this, that was asking, like, how you could play a Sears of the Throne Chronicle. So, <laughs> do, you, do you have any suggestions about uh, how that could be done? How to play? Uh, how to play a group of Sears? Um, accept it for what it is, and go crazy with it. Um, <laughs> really, um... Yeah, um, seers are on the same morality track as uh, all other mages. You know, they have wisdom like everybody else. So, uh, and one of the things that we touch on in the book is that you know they they have big psychological problems. Um, when um, w- when one of the exarchs starts um, talking to you in your dreams and commanding you to do horrible things for people, you know that takes a toll. Um, so yeah, uh, but. Um, many seers and um, some of the sample seers that we have in the book are um, are in it because they're afraid. You know, they they were um, some seers um, go um, heartily into the yeah, sign me up for uh, uh, running um, the world for my own uh, for my own aggrandizement. Um, but some seers are in it for um, uh, their pentacle tutors. Uh, carefully explain the cosmology of the mage universe and that uh, there are these big all-powerful um, god entities in the supernal realms uh, that they're rebelling against and uh, they crap themselves and uh, sign up to the seers as the safe option 
uh, because uh, at least you're not in the firing line <laughs> if mm. that happens to you. So um, there is quite a lot, you know, there, there's uh, quite a lot to play at, and um, uh, I think you'd have to be able to accept a certain amount of jovial backstabbing. <laughs> it, sounds like, it, it basically sounds like um, the play style sounds like a, a, a kind of a, a, a mid to high tier kind of like vampire game then with that you know you know you, you know that you can't trust the other players at the table who yeah, are exactly. your your coterie because and I've seen this happen it's like people ready to screw each other over because it works for the story and it, it requires that everyone knows that they're they're out for their own game at some point yeah. and if you accept that then you can just get on with playing the game and enjoying it rather than going oh I don't want to be hurt um, yeah. awesome <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and, and, oh, and, and also uh, give them conflicting orders <laughs> yeah you know, uh, the, the, nice. the pylons nice. priest has been told by the ruin that um, this particular um, the, this particular human child must die, but um, the uh, uh, one of the other pylon members has been told by a different exarch entirely that not only does he have to kill the priest, but he has to save the kid. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. Brilliant. Um, I was going to ask, uh, which is which of the ministries of the Sisterhood is your favourite? Because this mostly <laughs> says something about you as a person. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say, yeah. I tend to make my own minor ministries up whenever I need them. I guess it's gonna be, um, uh, well, my current chronicle revolves around Mammon. Okay. Uh, the ministry of Mammon, who are one of the, um, uh, who are one of the the also rans. Um, they're the the also ran that didn't quite get written up in the book because there wasn't room for them. But uh, the true underdogs of that story are Pantechnicon, who um, I, I I managed to get into Mage Noir. Oh, but, yes. <laughs> Uh, who, who are the uh, uh, of the uh, those free returning a bit? Uh, Pantechnicon are the members of the Free Council who uh, who did sign up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and who, cool. who escaped the rest of the Free Council. Um, but uh, uh, of the of the great ministries, uh, the ones that uh, the splat write-ups for, I guess it's going to be Panopticon. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they're creepy. Yeah, they're my favourite as well. <laughs> they're they're very very creepy. Uh, the Grigori are my favourite monster of the Seer monsters. Um, Pantechnicon themselves have a um, a, a marvellous um, uh, and uh, really quite horrible internal structure where uh, every member of Pantechnicon has to spy on one member of Pantechnicon who's higher ranking than himself and mm-hmm. one member who's lower than himself. So everybody is spying on everybody else at the same time. And then at the top, the minister is constantly being spied upon by the eye, which seems <laughs> a little unfair, but uh, there you go. <laughs> and, uh, so uh, they're the guys who hoard the profane urims um, right. and... Um, Put uh, put the Pentacle uh, cabals under uh, surveillance and uh, like to wander up to Pentacle majors and casually use their real names, you know that kind of thing. Yeah, <laughs> and it's uh... Panopticon are, are like 
totally badass. Um, but I think I think I love them coming from the point of view that I liked playing as virtual adepts for classic mage. So obviously oh. I I like Panopticon as like purely because they're they're the 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 immediate opposite in that kind of sense and um, and I also have lots of love for the free council. So uh, yeah. 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 Cool. Um, right. Oh, is that enough for Mage? Or I think there's one of the. No. Is it, no. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's enough for Sister Throne. Um, I think the other good question I've got is: um, In what way did your your own games influence the the content you put into Sister Throne? So obviously, um, going into writing the book, you had some ideas of what you wanted to put in. So. Yeah, I wrote Seas of the Throne about a third of the way through Soul Cage. Hmm. How did my own games influence it? Um, an artifact that I had brought up and then forgotten about in my game made it into the book uh, when I had the idea and didn't remember that I'd already had the idea. You know how that, how that <laughs> sometimes yeah. works. Um, but you know, nobody noticed. So nobody on the thread noticed. Um, <laughs> that was okay. um, the uh, and uh, it really was an offhand thing. Um, some of the uh, the pylon structure. The uh, the pentacle um, factions have the pentacle mages have um, factions within the each pentacle order. And um, the Seers of the Throne have, um, I think we ended up calling them methodologies, which is a technocracy callback, actually. Mm-hmm. And mm. um, I think it was the, uh, the the way that they worked, which was closest to... Um, I was involved in figuring out how they would work, and that was pretty much close to uh, how I envisaged the, uh, the, the Seers as working. Um, especially um, the uh, uh, because uh, Sanctum and Sigil came out and had um, several different types of Seer Pylon in it. It, it has a yeah. short section on Seer Pylons. Um, most importantly, it had more different types of Seer Pylon in it than we had room for methodologies. So um, the methodologies of the appearances of the throne are um, uh, each, they're carefully, carefully designed um, to each encompass two of the different types of pylon that were in Sanctum and Sigil. All right, okay. <laughs> which nobody noticed. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but one of those methodology types are the, uh, the guys who um, look for omens. They, they search for um, uh, answers from the... Uh, uh, they search for signs and portents from the Exarchs. And uh, I think um, I... Uh, they specifically, they, uh, they call the, um, the people who spout... Um, um, Messages from the Exarchs, or, or like a, a a normal sleeper who just uh, get occasionally gets uh, instructions from the eye on her TV screen, and uh, therefore requires a seer to carefully manage her and write everything down. Um, uh, they call the the oracles. They they call them Pythias uh, after the priestess in the uh, in the Temple of Apollo in ancient mm. Greece, and that is uh, from Broken Diamond. That's from my mage game. 
good stuff. Right, so Imperial Mysteries has just come out. Uh, yes, hot off the press, off the uh, off the off the internet. Um, now you co-wrote yeah. this with uh, Malcolm Shepard, who is I did. Uh, as anybody should know, is one of the uh, the major gurus. Um, yes. Apologies, yes, Malcolm, yes, calling you a guru, but, but you are. Yes. Um, so, what was it like working with him on the book? Uh, he's got such a broad understanding of the mage game and all its incarnations. Did you feel that you really had to up your game? Uh, you know, especially given that the subject matter was archmages of all things. Um, was right, the pressure on? Very, very. Actually, no, not really. Um, very early on, um, in this, uh, I said that um, I'd written some reviews of uh, Ascension books. And um, they were of um, Malcolm's books. I was a big mm. fan of Malcolm's um, in Ascension. Um, uh, his uh, work on uh, Akashic Brotherhood and New Thanatos. That's fantastic. Really good. Um, yeah. when, uh, and uh, up to and including the way that he, he actually managed to, I think, I honestly think, uh, I'm not just sucking up to my mate, I honestly think that um, Ascension uh, is the best of the ending books. Um, it uh, mm. Malcolm properly finished the entire Mage Meta yes. plot. He managed to Absolutely. cram everything in. Uh, he even he even managed to get into touch with Kathy Ryan to find out what the ending for Amanda should have been, yeah. and they didn't put it in the book, but made sure that he didn't contradict it. <laughs> So, cool. that, so that if she ever did manage to publish a novel about it, uh, or, or if there was ever interest, then uh, it wouldn't be contradicted. I mean, that is great. Um, and then um, somebody finally realised on a forum a while back that um, Vormas, the Grand Harvester of Souls... Mm-hmm. who um, the, the ultimate bad guy of Mage the Ascension, who... Um, uh, who um, um, caused uh, the end of the world by uh, making um, by uh, making necromancy be a bad thing? Yeah. Um, and the uh, the old man of the hollow, uh, the Aeon of Paradox in uh, uh-huh. the Awakening. Same guy. <laughs> I was just reading about him today. <laughs> Fantastic! Oh my god. Uh- <laughs> Head explode. How cool. Or rather, you know, they're, they're played by the same actor. The physical yeah. descriptions of them are the yeah. same. So, That's true. Uh, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, um, Malcolm, I think the... Uh, so I was a big fan of his, and I worked with him on Sears, and mm. um, we uh, we found that we have very complementary writing styles, uh, in that I horrendously over-plan everything and then um, go into a big stress towards the end of a writing period to actually get things finished, uh, but... Uh, by the deadline, while Malcolm um, sits down with a blank word processor, doesn't know what he's going to write, and just whacks it out. Um, his, uh, uh, and um, uh, but whenever I'm flagging on a, uh, whenever I'm flagging on a project, um, I know that uh, if I just read one of the prototype sections that Malcolm has passed around. Um, it, uh, it it inspires me to carry on. 
Um, yeah, it's very inspirational. Yeah. Yeah. But his, his uh, blogs are like that as well. You know, you just have to kind of browse over his blog for a couple of days, and yeah, it really kind of fries you up. It's good. Yeah. So we um, we found that we worked. We found that we worked really well together. We worked together on Sins of the Throne, and then Dances in the Dusk, and then the Mage Chronicles go. And um, yeah, um, we uh, uh, we just hit it up, and we'd both seen and acknowledged uh, the, um, the the fan demand for an art mage book mm-hmm. uh, Malcolm originally Malcolm wrote the section in um, Tome of the Mysteries about art mages um, and um, he was the recipient of the secret wisdom because when mage was originally designed they kind of sort of knew what the art mages would be like um, right. Specifically, they knew what the imperial practices were, mm-hmm. um, uh, and um, you know, uh, Malcolm was just keeping it safe uh, for future need. Um, cool. That, that one day, one day they'd use it. And uh, yeah, um, I came out of one particular thread on the White Wolf boards, thinking, you know, we really should do an art mage book. Uh, I wish, you know, the guys would say about it. And um, I noticed Malcolm was coming out the same thread the same way, and I just I was having work done on my house, so I was off the day job for about a week um, with nothing to do, and um, yeah, um, I just emailed him going, uh, "Do you fancy writing it up and submitting it together?" Oh wow, cool! Yeah. That was nearly two years ago. Bloody hell! So it wasn't. Yeah. It was. It was literally something you guys you put you put it together and pitched it, as opposed to writing it on spec. We wrote the entire outline and uh, pitched it, sent it in. Specific, um tragically, we sent it in, or you know, not tragically, because it it came out. Frustratingly, we um, we sent it in just after the guys had decided the uh, the product lineup for 2011. Oh, all right, yeah. Okay. So, time went on, and then almost a year to the day, um, they got back to us and uh, said, uh, so, do you actually want to write it? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Excellent. Well, it's a lot shorter than many of the other mage supplements. Um, did you did you have to leave much on the cutting room floor? Was there stuff you'd have liked to have included or, or added to what was already there if you were able? We, um, as tends to be the way with uh, PDF supplements, actually, um, almost every exalted um, short form book does this. Uh, the only uh, PDF book that I've been on that hasn't done this was uh, was Mage Noir. Uh, where we managed to keep to uh, keep to length, but Imperial Mysteries massively overran. Wow! Like massively, it's it's way longer than it was meant to be. Uh-huh. Um, the um... even though it's shorter, when I was looking through it uh, today and yesterday, it's still it's crammed. I mean, every page oh, yeah. is just yeah. crammed, and it's unashamedly full of esoteric, you know, to use a, a catchword, highbrow. Uh, it's, it's great. Well, we didn't know how interested people would be um, because we knew that you know the hardcore fans would really like having uh, all the, the deep secrets revealed and such. And um, 
So uh, at the time, the the major PDF release that we were um, looking at uh, was um, uh, the conspiracy book for Hunter, right? Mm. Uh, which came out, um, and the Forsaken Chronicles guide, which was being written at the yes. time, and uh, which came out as part works. Uh, yeah. they, uh, they they came out uh, in three chunks, mm-hmm. and um, so um, if you look at the book, you can see that it's it's kind of structured to have uh, been released. Um, uh, you can if you squint at it, you can see like uh, we would have uh, introduced um, uh, we would have done like um, the the threshold the uh, the process of becoming an art mage. Mm. Uh, uh, and they're gone. Uh, 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 join us next time for. <laughs> 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 but um, when the call came through to do it, um, one, uh, it would come out as a single release, and two, we had um, a smaller word count than we um, that we originally pitched for. Mm-hmm. So um, we uh, we really thought hard about it and, and really tried to compress as much in as we possibly could, and failed <laughs> <laughs> massively overran, um, and um, yeah. Uh, but uh, the things that were added afterwards, um, gratis, um, uh, the the things that we just shoved in there because. Um, um we uh we felt that the book needed it mm-hmm. uh, you know the uh, the last nerd editions are some of the things that um, people have really responded to and um so um yeah it it's not quite as um uh, as uh, as simple a thing as um uh, as saying uh, oh you know a lot must have been cut out of it um, right right pretty much you know, no ideas have been cut out of it, and right. um, uh, everything's in there. I would have written about twice as many example spells. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah. As we had, but I wouldn't have written all of them. No, <laughs> um, no. All of the um, all the, the the lists of spell spells where they're just described as like um, two word things. Um, mm. As exercises for the reader in statting them out, um, yes. that was always that was always going to be the way. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and um, the NPCs were never going to have stat blocks bigger than um, willpower, gnosis, which of their arcana is above five, because yeah. for art mages that's really what all that matters. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. yeah. Well, you, it, it is crammed and it's very dense, uh, but but I think that's a good thing. Uh, and as I said, you know, it really does. It, it really is kind of unashamedly full on. And I think there's no point doing it half-assed. You know, it's going to be a book about the top end of the system, rich, deep, esoteric, occult, literally. Um, so I think it. Uh, I think it really. Uh, it really fulfills its its mandate in that regard. It's, it's a great book. Yeah. Um, now, speaking as a someone who still plays Mage: The Ascension. Okay. And, and wanders into Mage the Awakening to, to loot and pillage and, and carry the spoils back off to my, my purple game. Um, what do you think Imperial Mysteries has to offer players of Mage the Ascension? Okay. Uh, Mage the Ascension has its own Art Mage book. Well, yes. <laughs> I'm going to talk about that in a minute. <laughs> right, okay. We'll get on to that, will we? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, I think... Because most characters aren't involved in it, 
uh, that that's kind of paradoxical in itself. But because most characters aren't involved in it, the Ascension War in Maids of the Awakening mm-hmm. is quite. It, it's it's much more clearly. It, it's much more clearly stated. You know, yes, um, yeah. you are trying. You are knowingly setting out to uh, remake the universe in your uh, to be the way that you want it to be. Uh, not any of your fellow player characters um, the way you want it to be. And so are, so are all of your peers. And um, and you have to decide what that means for yourself and for the rest of the universe. Um one of the uh, one of the things that I always used to muse on, uh, occasionally out loud as kind of a koan to uh, get people talking on forums, was uh, Mage the Ascension is much better at handling awakenings, and Mage the Awakening is far better at handling ascensions. Hmm. Just yeah. the way that the two settings are set up. That's very um, true. Where, yeah. <laughs> um, where in Ascension... Um, uh, because you uh, you only discard your paradigm as you um, uh, or uh, you only evolve beyond your paradigm as you shed foci as you go up in arate. Mm. Um, so it's uh, your character is still very focused on um, who they were before they awakened and yes. um, the uh, the cultural practices that they were in before they awakened. Um, while ascension itself. Is kind of a hand wave, uh, even in um, uh, even in Masters of the Art. Yes. Mage of the Awakening, you know, uh, your awakening is something that uh, only a uh, only about half of mages actually realise that they're experiencing at That's the time. Yeah. And um, uh, and magic has a, a defined. This is what magic is. Um, yes. Mm. To it, but because the supernal goals, the, be, the supernal goals, honestly, because the supernal realms are a goal, they're they're a um, a thing which is um, uh, unachievable um, by game uh, by base mechanics. Obviously, if you if you tell a mage that something is unachievable, they will try to achieve it. Mm-hmm. Um, Ascension, um, trying to escape the Gnostic uh, prison universe, um, is a thing. It's the uh, the preoccupation of uh, one of the orders, and um, trying to stop people from doing it is the preoccupation of the antagonists. And um, yeah, um, you can you you can see how ascending matters. To people in uh, right. in New Mage, yeah, and mm. uh, uh, so yeah, uh, if you were playing a very high end, a very high powered game of Mage: The Ascension, I'd uh, I'd maybe look at that about um, some of the some of the Ascension lore that we have going on, and um, the maybe the uh, the concept that when you get that powerful. Um, it's really only the um, the eighty or so other people that are that powerful that you you really have to worry about. You yeah, know, the, the ascension war yeah. becomes personal uh, yeah. when you're playing Porthos. Right, um, right. So yeah, the, the the ascension war is a 
it is a personal thing. Well, Mage the Awakening's take on the Ascension War is one of the first things that I imported into my Mage the Ascension game. You know, because, like you say, it is. You know, never mind my, my that I have a that you have a personal I have a personal interest in the whole kind of Gnostic prison idea. Anyway, um, seeing something in Mage the Awakening that was oh, I can I can steal this wholesale and stick it right in, uh, you know, to the to the betterment of my Ascension game. So looking at Imperial Mysteries and seeing. Here are some hard and fast methods for looking at what Ascension might be like and how you might achieve it beyond the kind of hand wavery of Masters of the Art. Um, here are the Imperial practices and, uh, and the omens and uh, what have you. And, and on top of that, the um, uh, well, to kind of parallel with the system in Astral Realms, uh, rules for, for kind of getting inside the getting behind the wiring of the world to change it. Uh, oh, yeah. I think they they both would work really well in uh, in Ascension games. Um, so yeah, Masters of the Art. Did you guys look at that at all for inspiration when writing your Imperial Mysteries, or for examples of what not to do? I did. I don't know if Matt did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, they're uh, they're the reason that we have a faction called the Exemplars. Yeah. Um, although Masters of the Art. Um, uh, in in old mage, an exemplar is what uh, is roughly what in new mage would be called a sitter. Yeah. Um. So. Uh. The. We did. I did look at it. I actually liked Masters of the Art. Okay. I think it has uh, a lot going for it. It does have a lot going for it. This is true. Yeah. Um, especially the uh, the Bodhisattva um, faction are mm. quite... Um, it, Malcolm wrote the um, the Antentes in Imperial Mysteries, the, 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 the factions. So, um, But uh, when we were working out the book, I was certainly inspired by the... Um, the old mage version of oracles, which were people who had nearly ascended but had refused yeah. to um, to help other people to ascend. Yeah. Um, so I, I knew that uh, I wanted a faction that were like that, uh, right. and we knew that we weren't ever actually going to show the oracles. We right. conversely knew that we were going to totally show the exarchs, but yeah. uh, uh, that, that's a that's a matter of awakening law. Um, and uh, the idea of the Sirda as there being a faction, um, Malcolm named them the Sirda, I can't remember what my original name for them was, it began with an E, um, but it wasn't exemplars either. And um, uh, I knew that there would be a faction who were uh, who were just deeply into um, one arcana, like uh, Old Mage had that. But the main thing for me was that Masters of the Art because of the way that um, Old Mage described sphere levels, yeah, Masters of the Art had to do um, the 6th, 7th, 8th and ninth dot for 9 spheres um, with quite large um, chunks and mm. um, it took up most of what was not that thick a book yeah. In fact, if you get a pod version of Imperial Mysteries, a print-on-demand version of Imperial Mysteries, um, I bet it's not actually that much thinner than Masters of the Art, mm. side by side. Um, 
yeah, uh, so much time was spent on the on the sphere dot effect that um, uh, it didn't really have much chance of um, explaining how um, uh, how art majors interacted with one another. Which is right. why I decided when writing up the um, the imperial practices that I'd follow the tome of mysteries route rather than the mage core book route, where mm. uh, we didn't describe the uh, the individual arcana. Um, because but, we'd get about halfway through the six dot effects before we ran out of room, uh, but yeah. we'd describe just the practices. Practice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, and so you know the the fact that Mage the Awakening has practices saved our asses. But yeah. um, <laughs> the um, yeah, uh, I actually had a player um, achieve art mastery in Mage the Ascension back in the day. Oh wow. <laughs> yeah, he became an art master of he became an art master of space. Um, if you've ever actually read the Six Dots of Space, it's rather <laughs> underwhelming. Yeah, there's some <laughs> odd discrepancies yeah. in power in those. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in that, uh, I believe that the fundamental difference between it and Space Five is that at Space Five you can warp space so that you, you can make um, uh, you can make rooms bigger or, or smaller. Um, you, mm. you, can, you can modify distances. You can warp space. You can increase or decrease it, uh, amplify it, or, or dampen it. And at Space Six you can uh, create space. Oh, uh, the difference. Mm. <laughs> I don't actually know what the difference is. <laughs> um, yeah. um, uh, something about something about crossing the gauntlet too. I seem to recall being there. Yeah, he he spent uh, all that, but you see, they they had a shallowing and a chantry. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the the difference. Um, I he'd spent all that all that XP on it, and in the end, I had to specifically bend the plot to introduce a problem that he could only solve with his art mastery so that he would actually use it yeah. so that he would actually cast a spell with it yeah. and um, just the the idea that um, you know you have become an art master, you've spent that much XP on getting uh, a sphere at 6 yeah. and it kind of sucks um, yeah. please spend more XP and get that sphere at 7 so um we didn't want to do that. We we wanted no. beginning art majors to be um beginning even a beginning art mage should feel like a god. Yeah, yeah. Well <laughs> when Horizon covered it, Horizon just said there are six dots and, and the sixth one is your kind of hand wavy dot and that's not bothered with seven yeah. eight and which is, you know, an interesting approach. What I liked about Masters of the Art actually was a lot of the I say the factions or splats that were in it were actually mages who who couldn't ascend anymore, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I thought that was an interesting approach to take. You know, the whole kind of thing about ascension, and then uh, in fact most of you guys are going to fail by pursuing these things that got you there in the first place, which I thought was quite a, quite an interesting take on the on the subject. That was nice. Yeah, you've become so powerful you can no longer achieve the wisdom necessary. To, yeah. uh, to ascend, which is kind of bound up in what ascension was being hinted at being in uh, in old mage, but you know in mage the awakening, uh, knowledge is power, and power is you know, um, yes, you you can. Um, one of the um, uh, we have the system for Imperium, but we also have in uh, in Imperium Mysteries the fact that if you do manage the feat of getting a uh, an Arcana to ten dots, 
and you somehow find the quintessence necessary for such a uh, ridiculous uh, uh, for such a ridiculous spell, it will just ascend you. Yeah. Uh, you can do it by um, by uh, you can do it by sheer focused study. Um, and then, and then there's that, that little sidebar at the end about, well, you know, there's these guys outside the supernal too. Do we not tell you about them? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's because Malcolm wrote on the on um, Inferno. Oh, okay. Right. <laughs> and, uh, I think the 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 Empyrean was. Um, have you have you read um, World of Darkness Inferno? Oh, we uh, yeah, not yet, but I think I need to if we're going to cover Infernalism at some point. Yeah. World of Darkness Inferno strongly hints that the lower depths in Mage, um, that the, the hell where uh, where demons come from, the the, the Inferno, uh, is um, part of the lower depths in Mage, and um, we uh, uh, there are places in Imperial Mysteries where we kind of hint at that too. It goes slightly against um, my own. Um, vision of what the uh, lower reaches should be like, but uh, I, I rationalise it as they're, you know, they're being the the uh, the lower depths are a very big place and there's room for lots of different things down there. Um, but um, one of the things that's mentioned uh, offhand in, Infer- in Inferno is uh, we have given you all these rules for playing uh, humans who are possessed by demons. What about humans who are possessed by angels? Yeah. And uh, it gets maybe a page, maybe half a page. Just the uh, the the idea of playing um, something called um, Imperian, um, which is um, uh, uh, humans possessed by angels, and uh, you, you just um, flip the uh, the game mechanics in Inferno, so you run off virtues instead of vices, that kind of thing. And um, just as uh, demons in uh, the New World of Darkness, they they come from a um, a unspecified inferno, then angels would come from a unspecified imperium, which um, you know is an idea that's raised in Promethean, uh, yeah. where the uh, uh, where the the Quashalim, Quashalim, um, yeah, yeah, come from um, uh, come from the principle that they work for the principle, which is never ever defined. Right, the, and, the, the, uh, the principle gets a mention in Imperial Mysteries too, I think, isn't it? Yes, yes it does. Um, specifically the fact that um, mages, um, uh, as in um, Promethean, um, uh, Quash and Alim are just enigmas. Um, mm. They're not from the ether. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and yeah, there may be a higher reality above uh, above the supernal. So, what do you think is is left for the Image the Awakening line to cover? It's you know it's fleshed out many of its of its nooks and crannies. Is there any supplement that you think is still crying out to be written? Well, see, I've been thinking about this uh, lately with the response to Imperial Mysteries. We've been thinking about you know getting the gang back together and doing it again, submitting another book, and um, so. Obviously, I can't really say. Um, I, oh, I can't cool! Really, like, uh. I, I can't really. Well, you know, I can't give a um, give a detailed breakdown of what I think the the next best Mage of the Awakening supplement will be. If I'm then going to email them with it in a couple of weeks' time, <laughs> try to persuade them to pay me for it. Yeah. <laughs> but looking through my core book. 
because everything in Mage is at least mentioned in the core book. Some things with the very thinnest of uh, detail, like the whole um, the the whole mythology about the the Pentacle having a supernal template. So no matter yes. what the Seers do, they can't destroy the orders. Is based bit. on about half a sentence in the Banisher write up in the core book. But uh, <laughs> um, yeah, um, the Mad. What's up um. with them? Yeah. And um apostates. And mm-hmm. um um I'd like uh, I think uh, the game could use a book about um magical tools, sacraments, uh, artifacts, um imbued items, you know, a uh, a a a, a, le- a, a, a toys book um maybe yeah. go into like free forged by tech. dragon's fire or yeah yeah, yeah, toy like, books kind of thing yeah, yeah. um cool toy books for the new generation um, <laughs> especially as uh, you know techne wasn't really gone into very much in the free council book yeah okay um, interesting but um yeah uh, they're, they're the ways that it could go and then you know i don't know I guess uh, well, we'll stop doing the shadows of books because um, yeah. a crossover with Vampire the Requiem and Werewolf the Forsaken featuring Samuel Haight. Mm-hmm. No, mm. <laughs> That'd be a good one. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe, uh, not. maybe not. Hey, I just uh, I just got Shadows of Mexico, and I opened it up, and it came up with uh, uh, Requiem like splat write-ups, and I was flipping through, and there's like nothing about you know, werewolves or mages or anything. It's basically just a Requiem book. Yes, mm. and if you read the UK book, uh, it's a werewolf book. Yeah. Huh. So, uh, I've never been on a book that it's happened to, but uh, sometimes uh, books get re... The, the spine colour gets changed halfway through writing them. If, hmm. if you want. <laughs> um, it's like uh, Slasher. You can tell Slasher was originally a hunting supplement. Yeah. But it's a uh, it's a word core book. Uh, the the only one that I know didn't happen that way is the Book of the Dead, which was definitely, you know, uh, as first conceived, that was a a general word book. Um, mm. But it's obviously more useful for Geist than nice. it is for. Uh, it's uh, a great for... book that one. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Love it. Um, so, okay. Uh, yeah, uh, but uh, yeah, I think. Shadows of Mexico, it did kind of start as a vampire book, I suspect, um, hmm. just from looking at it. And uh, Shadow and uh, Shadows of the UK, which is a brilliant book. Because, um, uh, you know, for anything else, it has the wobbles in it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is true. It also has one of the earliest examples of um, what Geist is, essentially, because it has the, um, the cemetery spirits, which are kind yeah, of like a forerunner. What happens when a spirit eats a ghost, and you yeah. get a spirit-ghost hybrid, which is actually, yeah, it, it's what Geist. Um, uh, I think Geist, I think Geist the City is even has to have a sidebar in it saying that, yeah, yeah, they they might be, <laughs> um, but uh, cool. yeah. Okay, so let's um, go back to the purple briefly um, before the I. Purples. I before okay. I finish my, my mage um, frothing. <laughs> so how, how excited are you about the chance for a Mage the Ascension 20th Anniversary Edition? Um, 
And what would you most like to see in such a book? Uh, and if you had the chance, what would you change about Mage the Ascension rules or setting for M20? Okay. Uh, like Vampire, I honestly wouldn't change many rules. Mm-hmm. Um, I I just wouldn't. I wouldn't change the setting either. I, I hope that if if and when Mage 20 happens that it looks at the traditions and the conventions in the the higher detail on mm-hmm. uh, on their paradigms that was in the revised era. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think the Avatar Storm could be safely locked away as a, a two-page spread towards the end of the book, you know, so that it's there for the people like me who actually liked it, uh, but it, its mere presence does not uh, cause um, the death of the internet. <laughs> um, the uh, uh, I think it should definitely have the conventions in it um, mm-hmm. uh, as much as the traditions. You know, for all that they're deluded fools, they should and uh, uh, and above the deluded fools, jack booted Nazis, they should have. Um, uh, they should be in there. Um, yeah, um, I honestly think the the various crafts are better off left as they were in revised where they're folded into uh, some of the traditions, if only because okay. I don't think there'd be room for them otherwise. Um, but uh, there, there were an awful lot of them uh, before they started getting absorbed. Mm. But, uh, yeah. Um, mostly, um, the uh, uh, I, I think the Onyx Path is terribly exciting. I'd, um, uh, I, I will kill a man. Um, to, uh, to to write a Mage the Ascension book because you know before I was a um, uh, before I was an Awakening writer I was a huge Ascension fan yeah uh, I, I got the original softback of first edition and I fell in love with the game all the way uh, I played it um, all the way through um, to uh, uh, I, I ran it and ran it and ran it again, and then played it and then ran it and then ran it and then ran mm-hmm. it and um, and then played it for the the last time I was actually a player. Uh, we only stopped. We were playing Vampire the Requiem, but we were also still playing Mage the Ascension. We only stopped playing Mage the Ascension when Mage the Awakening came out. Mm. If only because you know we just finished Mage the Ascension. We uh, we wanted Natural to play a different break. game. Yeah, yeah uh, I want. After university, I made the I uh, I decided that um, uh, we were running games over instant messenger uh, over ICQ to keep in contact with our old gaming group, and I I rashly declared that I I will run a campaign of Mage the Ascension, uh, which I shall call Decalogue, for it will run for ten years precisely. <laughs> Uh, we will. Um, it will be split into ten seasons of ten stories each, and we shall do this until we are all in our thirties. <laughs> and I got midway through year three, <laughs> <laughs> but it was awesome. Um, I, I did exactly the same thing, but it was nine, not yeah. ten. Oh, well, um, the thing is, I'd already done the nine. You know? Uh, I'd oh. already done the nine version. Um, well, oh, it, it was actually oh. like uh, three chronicles of three acts each. Yeah. Um, I even modelled them thematically after the spheres. Oh, excellent. I was well, just we're... that kind of a guy. <laughs> to, 
But yeah, um, so I, I will fight man to uh, to write for it. But I think they're the. Uh, you said it, a minute ago it was kill, and now it's fight. I mean, just you know, because it's... I'll lose. If, you know, Malcolm <laughs> martial arts. Um, uh, <laughs> the, uh, there are an awful lot of uh, of luminaries um, who will uh, who will doubtless be. Um, jockeying for word space on M20, so I don't know if I have any hope of uh, of cramming in. So um, as backup plans, I have uh, four framing stories. I have I have uh, thought up. Um, you know, I've been thinking about uh, how I would write each of the four remaining convention books, just in case. Wow. <laughs> and uh, yeah, um, I with the Onyx Path, I think. The, the biggest excitement for me in the uh, uh, the restarting of the classic World of Darkness is that I might actually get to work on Made of the Ascension book, which I never ever thought I would ever be able to do. <laughs> that would be very special. Yeah. As long as we get it, that would keep me happy. <laughs> okay, so well, apart the, from... Sorry, the convention books have been announced. Yeah, uh, I know. Translation okay. guides have been announced. So Made of the Ascension books, they are coming, you know. Yeah. Um, somebody is going to have to take the poison chalice of writing Void, Gen- Void Engineer revised, the the pro as Avatar Storm people or the anti Avatar Storm people killing them. <laughs> <laughs> See, then that'll be that'll be you now. <laughs> <laughs> Great. <laughs> okay, so apart from apart from uh, Decalogue, uh, what Mage Chronicle would you love to run or complete, but haven't had the chance yet? Uh, Mage Chronicle that I would love to run or complete. Um, as regular readers of my actual playthroughs will know, um, I have um, I, I fly to Gencon every year. Um, I um, I choose to see it as a uh, as uh, I choose to delude myself into thinking that it's a business trip. To uh, <laughs> to meet people, hand out um, hand out cards. Then you know it, it maybe works. But one of the things that I traditionally do out there is um, run a game um, for people. And um, there were a uh, there there were a bunch of there were in my second chronicle a bunch. New Beige Chronicle, a bunch of characters who, a bunch of storyteller characters uh, who were quite compelling and who were big fan favourites. And so I, I just thought, right, right, okay, you know, I'm coming to the States. Quite a lot of you are coming to this convention, okay? Um, email me, um, sign up. Uh, I will uh, I will run a game. You can play these, uh, the, you know, um, the, these are your favourite characters. Uh, in the narrative of the Chronicle, they have all just gone off together uh, to uh, uh, to form their uh, to form their own cabal and, uh, and do awesome things um, over the horizon. And um, so, uh, email me, sign up. Uh, we'll all meet up in the uh, in uh, one of the hotels, and you know, I'll, I'll run the game for you, mm. and I'll even write it up and put it in the actual playthrough. And um, uh, five um, wonderful people did. Um, cool. And then they did, and then um, they convinced uh, another one of their number um, to uh, to 
join. Uh, so the next year, six wonderful people did, and um, we've uh, we've carried on doing it. And and I was uh, I was building vaguely a a story arc. Um, unfortunately, uh, because Gencon has chosen to um, be held to uh, um, hold the show after the start of the American school year. For the next two or three years, not everybody is going to be able to make it. So um, that sequence of stories is missing its finale. And and looks like it's always going to be missing its finale. So a shame. Yeah. Okay. It, it, uh, yeah. So uh, that's uh, that. That's what I would love to uh, to to do. Uh, I, I, I just really like the the opportunity to uh, to, re- to reschedule Gencon. Yeah, reschedule yeah. Gencon to my to my liking. Okay, we thought we can do. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Excellent. Well, thank you. No that, that yeah, that that covers mage for me in in uh, excruciating detail. So <laughs> excruciating detail. Yeah, I'm not it, all my words. This is no, that's a good kind of excruciating. Yes. You know. Okay, well, that, that, that's good. Chris, you have some vampire questions, I think. Still, yeah, we'll we'll do these ones quickly because obviously this is this is the mage special episode then <laughs> as, as well. Is that okay? Because obviously, um, so like David, you, you you worked on um, Dance Macabre, which is obviously a big book of tweaks to the game. Yes. And it's a very big book of tweets of the game because obviously Vampire is oh, yes. quite well um, it's quite well padded I out like with all the Covenant books. I like to think of Dance Macabre as um, uh, you buy this, uh, you sellotape it together with Requiem, and you have Requiem Second Edition. Yeah, yeah, no, that's 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 perfectly good. I was looking back through it, and um, it's one of those books which sometimes, like my approach to picking up. World of Darkness books is sometimes you'd, I don't I, I flick through and some books you know you need to read straight away to get all the bits out that you want to put into your game and other, one, other ones you find the little bits that you immediately want and the rest you go oh, I'll look at it when I've got a bit more time and so today came across the um, was it the is it not Children of the Thorn is it uh, going crazy but the ones which there's the tenuous link with um, Change. with uh, Changeling so yeah. Um, so again, with Dance Macabre and uh, with Vampire, you said you like you like Requiem a lot and more than Masquerade. So, yes. um, what was your contribution to Dance Macabre? And again, where do, where those contributions are originate in your own games? Yeah. My Vampire the Requiem Chronicle is one of the sample chronicles. Mm-hmm. In, cool. Uh, Which one? Uh, Knights of Long Knives. Oh, okay, uh, that's how I run Requiem, as kind of uh, pretty much as I uh, described uh, running uh, Sears of the Throne game earlier. Um, <laughs> uh, my Vampire the Masquerade game. Oh, um, the first World of Darkness book I, the first White Wolf book I wrote for was uh, Night Horrors Immortal Sinners. Immortal yeah. Sinners. Okay, uh, one of the characters in that is the Prince of Budapest. Okay. And um, he uh, and it describes the Budapest setting. Okay, take that Budapest uh, setting from uh, Immortal Sinners, um, stick it onto uh, Night of Long Knives uh, from Dance Macabre, and uh, that was my Vampire the Requiem Chronicle. 
So hold on, I'm just trying to remember. Knights of Long Knives. Uh, just if you yeah, Knight of Long Knives is the one where um, Knight of Long Knives is the one where uh, the player characters are the the second tier guys. Mm-hmm. They're the they're the Ancillas. Uh, so uh, the one yeah. player character is the Mistress of Elysium. One player character is the Carthian Myrmidon. Um, one's the Sheriff. That kind of thing. It's a very small city uh, with a very limited um, group of um, kindred in it, because it's it's one of the old. Uh, Dance Macabre says like it's one of the old um, uh, Hungarian. It's one of the old um, European cities with a very small city centre. You know, there, there's not enough room for a big U.S. style um, yeah. prince's court, um, because you know, in in the game that I ran, it was Budapest. And um, because of that, everybody is related to everybody else. Um, uh, I uh, I had like a big branching family tree of all of the uh, of all of the kindred. There were um, at most two um, lines of embrace um, per clan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, so everybody knew everybody else. Um, everybody, um, uh, it had had a really strict prince, who is the guy who was written up in um, Immortal Sinners, who basically controlled the entire joint with an iron fist and um, made a lot of uh, very draconian laws, which people really didn't like, but they uh, couldn't get rid of him. And um, uh, then something happened to get rid of him, and um, all of the elders um, who have um, disappeared they've all gone into torpor mm. so the player characters um, have stepped up uh, into the breach um, the uh, the Carthian movement has taken over um, the um, uh, the the player characters are left with the younger vamp the neonates who they were oppressing um, under the old regime um, yeah. are now looking at them like they're thinking, well, if the Elders have vanished, then the Ancilla can damn well vanish too. Um, the Ancilla are all looking at one another and uh, old tensions are coming, uh, uh, old tensions and hatreds are coming out. Um, everybody has been stuck with one another for many decades. Everyone hates. Uh, everyone has a shit list containing at least four other people. <laughs> and... Um, hmm. They and um, you know it's just a pressure cooker which is going to explode. Cool. And, uh, it will all end in tears. Uh, and <laughs> uh, when I ran it, it all ended with white phosphorus. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, the thing you were saying about like um, having multiple lines of like detailed, you know, bloodlines of vampires of who's related to who. It's like yeah. that. I think is really important for vampire games. Really get across the interconnectedness between char- uh, between characters and settings. So, so obviously antagonists are not just straw men that can just be set on fire and staked and killed and got rid of. There's repercussions and ripples to every action. Yeah, um, that, uh, that, that, that unbound that you, you just had to execute, you know, that, that's your, that's the child of the child of your own sire. Yeah, 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 yeah. Nephew. Yeah if you will and um, uh, I, I when I run Requiem I always like to make the um, the blood ties you know the, the ability to sense the emotions of people that are related to mm. uh, I make that actually far stronger than it is in the 
in the game is presented, and um, mm. uh, and being capable and make it cap- being capable of going a lot further. Um, yeah, I think I, I think I'll I'll, um, I'll definitely give that one a, a read over because obviously as I said I'm I'm in the process of setting up a new gaming group and I'm looking to run season two of my vampire the vampire yeah. requiem Manchester setting where. We've played um, the original Chronicle was a, a tier one type of game, and obviously the one remaining player character that I have with me, obviously my wife's character, um, <laughs> is now um, her character survived through uh, a whole load of election Carthian madness, um, where a prefect got killed, and of course, what happens when a prefect gets killed? There's a an election got called, and yes. all that madness, and trying to fix the election and. And so forth. So um, the game's going to be going to a tier a level, tier level two type gaming scenario because, of course, it's the easiest way to uh, set it up with her character being leading a new group of players who are kind of riding on her character's um, coattails and trying to take advantage of someone's newly found power. So I'll definitely have a look at that. Um, so also quickly, uh, favorite covenant. I'm guessing Carthians. Ordo Dracul, actually. Ah, okay, cool. Yeah, fair enough. I, I, I just like the Ordo Dracul. I like the fact yeah. that, that Dracula isn't hidden away as a uh, secondary clan that wasn't in the original core book. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, <laughs> Count fucking Dracula. Yeah. Uh, well, um, I do like Count fucking Dracula. Who doesn't like Count fucking Dracula? <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I like the fact that... Um, he he's a historical figure in um, Vampire the Requiem. Um, the whole embraced by God thing, you know, he's totally a gangle. But yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> um, I was going to say, and new and uh, favorite faction that was introduced in Dance Macabre, so one of the newer ones. So obviously not one of the five Gonzo insane ones, because they're based on the original five. But any of the other extra ones that were added in. I created two of them. Okay, good. Um, yeah. Which two of those then? Uh, I created the Society of the Accord. Okay. Uh, who um, are the? Um, uh, they're the Golconda cult who mm-hmm. um, found a uh, surprisingly popular with neonates way of managing the beast. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and um, who like. Who look from the outside, and in fact from most of the inside, they they look like the guys from the start of Blade. Um, Brilliant, yeah. <laughs> Again, uh, that's another one I've noted to use. Yeah. And the Harbingers, who are based on my deep and abiding love of the True Bruja. Okay. True Bruja, great. <laughs> Specifically, mm. uh, the the harbingers are the um, uh, the heavily necromantic guys who um, they bleed their blood potency off onto um, other vampires who they have captured for the purpose. Um, uh, but um, if they screw it up, um, they they do it by manipulating the energies which keep a vampires body static and and uh, immune to time uh, and if you get a dramatic failure on the roll then you, you take aggravated damage as, um, uh, as your body starts to rot which cool. is what happens if you fail a temporis roll if you're yeah. a uh, um, <laughs> for the same rationale um, 
yeah. I right. may have played a true brew at some point. So they're kind of the. Um, uh, I definitely had the true black hand in mind when I wrote the Harbinger. We love the secrets of the black hand here. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, I I liked Dirty Secrets of the Black Hand. Good stuff. Uh, Best I was playing a Sabat Chronicle at the time, and uh, my uh, my storyteller said, "Like you really don't want to read this. <laughs> really, it's not just that it's. I know you're playing a Black Hand player, Dave, but you don't want to read this." And I read it, and I had my mind blown. <laughs> That's such a cool book. And. The next, last question for on my vampire kind of things, because obviously, um, is how would you sell Requiem to people who just think it's a carbon copy of Masquerade and they just shouldn't bother? Obviously, a difficult sell, but you say you prefer uh, Requiem to Masquerade, so um, yeah. Russell Bailey once said that uh, Requiem is blood spattered on asphalt. Which, after I figured out, he meant tarmac. Um, yes. <laughs> my uh, favourite uh, ways of describing it. Um, Requiem is grittier, nastier, um, much less certain. Mm. Uh, Requiem, as a game line, has done a very good job of early masquerade way back in the day, first edition and early second edition Masquerade had a real we-don't-know-what's-out-there feel to it. You know, the yeah. uh, the Spat clans weren't in the core book. The, um, uh, the, there was a... Uh, the, there was much more of a feel of, um, you know, players should not read all of the source books because... Um, you know, you, you get turned into a vampire and you should focus on, you know, um, the struggle of your character to survive through the night, and and, um, uh, and you will experience. You'll come across like uh, you'll come across strange and, uh, and um, unknown things, and um, and you'll have to deal with it in play. Um, it will kind of spoil it if you know everything. Yeah. Um, certainly, um, all those city books. For the second edition vampire, you know they were kind of useless if you read them as a player. Uh, yeah. If you saw the organisation charts, um, then um, then you'd spoilt it for yourself. And there's that real feel to it, and because Requiem is one of the more rightly or wrongly is one of the more toolkitty. In fact, it's probably the most toolkitty other than Hunter. Um, new world, new world game. Um, it's kept that um, the way the fog of eternity works. Oh, um, I think that's brilliant. Yeah, it's um, you know you you get the uh, if you read the um, the new the Requiem Clan books, you definitely get the feel that vampires are kind of groping their way around a, a big, scary, horrible world, um, which will bite your head off and spit the blood all over the floor if you make a wrong move and um, Masquerade doesn't uh, Masquerade had that at the start and then um, certainly by revised era Masquerade it didn't really have that level of mystery to it and Mm. 
and Requiem does. It's the um, uh, it's the least. It has the narrowest worldview of all of the um, New World of Dance games, which it uh, has, which it turns into a strength. Uh, plus, the books are really pretty, especially like, nowadays. Now that they're in, um, now that they're in color. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you just you could read the new clan books as works of art, and uh, uh, I, I will uh, I, I will perform humiliating acts on uh, live on the internet for the chance to do um, path books or uh, <laughs> or, um, uh, or, or similar uh, similar artifact books for for. The other Edward games. I think and, one um, book I would love to see redone from Masquerade into a kind of a, with a Requiem feel because I think it was one of the best Masquerade books done simply, and I think that was a simply because it was one of the last ones done was um, uh, Gilded Cage because it was literally how do you run antagonists in a in a in a, a believable manner so they're not just you know. Mm, hopping yeah. around in their capes going ha 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 I'm the big evil and I'm generation this and you can't beat me because you have to diabolize me which is impossible it was more about how does their power base actually work and and how if you're a, a 500 year old vampire how do you get a bank card and it's that type of thing which I think again I I, I don't have my copy since moving country but it's it's um I always constantly went back to referring to that when I was um, still plowing through Requiem in its early days yeah. just to figure out how to get my setting built up, like who needs what to work and where all the ripples and dominoes would be if the players hit at the right points, just to make it feel like an organic setting that reacts to the players. The players could feel rather... Um, so they could actually be proactive rather than always reacting to some rather boring cardboard cutout villain. So um, I would love to see a book like that done for Requiem. That's just an idea. Um, <laughs> well, you know, I don't. Uh, uh, I I always I, I really like working uh, on Vampire because I think because I run Mage so very very much. It's kind of um, I know the correct feeling for Mage. For when I work on Vampire, I have to sit down and really get myself into the get myself into the mood of the game. So certainly for me, it has uh, you know the the, the books are um, the the later Requiem books are just dripping with blood and Viseria, and the um, it's. It's got a very strong theme to it, and uh, yeah, I just I just love it. I think that's all I have on Vampire, which leads okay. to the last three here. Again, sort of similar questions because, of course, you worked on Changeling. I did. Uh, uh, Dances in the Dusk. Yes. Yes. Okay. So um, again, kind of like. Uh, again, what type of changeling games have you run, and how has that influenced your contribution to the changeling line? And what type of books would you like to write for changeling, or what do you think needs to be written for changeling? And just okay. generally, why you like changeling? <laughs> well, my big confession is that I've never run it. Ooh, okay. Or in fact, played it. Ah. 
I when Chainsaw came out, I had just finished running a um, people abducted by fairies game. Okay. Um, so when Chainsaw came out, I uh, I knew that it was good. Um, you know, it is up there with the uh, with late Requiem games for being bloody gorgeous. Um, but it was totally the wrong time for my game and grip, so I never ran yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, uh, I, I always intended to come back to it and run it, but, you know, time makes fools of us all. And, yeah, um, yeah I've, never, I've never run it. Do you find it difficult writing for the game, not having played it? Um, my section of Dances in the Dusk was about... Um, Incubi, who are the uh, the changelings, call anything that they encounter in a mortal's dreams, um, which is uh, attempting to alter that mortal's dreams for its own ends. They they just call them all Incubi, right. and uh, because of that, um, I had to give them all dream combat stats, um, but keep you know introduce as much mystery into uh, what. The, all these different things actually were uh, as possible. Um, yeah, because so, as, uh, as a chapter goes, I was going to say, as a chapter goes with the the dream section, I mean, it, the amount of back referencing to Mage, there's there's like massive amounts of like referencing to other Mage books, and that's because the whole dealing with dreamscapes is. <laughs> Well, open open to lots of crossover for really a lot of the world of darkness. So. Yeah, all the stuff about the skine and yeah. um, the uh, and Mordred uh, and such was uh, that was all Malcolm. Uh, I wrote some of the Incubi, um, and so I, I I read and read and reread and reread uh, the Dream Combat rules. Um. Uh, read the entire line so far, um, mm. and uh, just had to be really careful about it. You know, sometimes you don't get the chance to write to run a game before you write for it. Yeah. Uh, if um, uh, you know, if you're writing the core book for a game, you you can't have played it uh, before you write for it. So, <laughs> That's uh, true. Uh, yeah, um, it's. Uh, um, I had a great deal of fun. I had a good time writing uh, Dances in the Dusk. I came onto it about a week after I'd finished Sears of the Throne. Um, it's one of my two pieces of gaming fiction um, that have been uh, published um, in, uh, in White Wolf books because uh, the chapter opening fictions appear to be uh, getting less and less common. Um, but... Um, yeah, uh, there are some bits in there that are um, that that are uh, mad ideas that I had. Um, uh, some of them request were requests, like um, you know, what does the um, what does somebody's daemon, which is from mage, mm. uh, um, what does someone's daemon look like to a changeling? Uh, that that was one of the uh, uh, that was one of the things that we were told to include. Mm. And um, but uh, yeah, I did the goblin miners who are uh, who are after dreamstones. Awesome. Uh, I did the uh, the succubi. 
um, the Cambians. Um, uh, I did the uh, the sentient play that kills people. <laughs> Stranger. Um, that that was a weird one. Um, uh, the uh, the personal one was the uh, the night hags. The, the, the night hags because you know because yeah. uh, uh, as a kid, um, you you know the phenomenon of night hags. Um, sleep paralysis. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, yeah. You know, it's the opposite of sleepwalking. It's the condition where your your body paral doesn't unparalyze itself when you uh, when you wake up, mm. and being half asleep, so your brain is still in the state where it's interpreting anything as weird imagery, um, softened up from random parts of your subconscious, um, and the fact that you can't move, you experience it as a big crushing weight on your chest. Mm-hmm. So if it happens to you, you normally feel like there's something in the bed with you or sat on top of you and um, so that that's where you get like um, uh, all medieval illustrations of uh, people with demons uh, crouched on them that kind of mm. thing uh, so in, um, in, in Changeling it's literally true and, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but um, you know, as, as a child um, I suffered from sleep paralysis so I've, I, I have experienced the night hack phenomenon yeah, yeah. I think um, I'll, I'll be keeping that one. Uh, I don't know how how happy my wife would be if I used that in a game. Uh, sleep paralysis <laughs> in Changeling. <laughs> yeah, the look of horror on her face—that idea. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For me, um, you know, I, I I was absolutely horrified when it happened to me as a kid until I realised that the way um, people. And it's one of the theories of um, alien abduction um, yeah. stories, you know, uh, because what you actually see is a dream. Um, so it's yeah. just a random thing brought up from your uh, from your subconscious. And I I mentioned this; it's just a random thing brought up from your subconscious, which is why, as an eleven year old, my night hag was the goblin from the AD and D second edition monstrous <laughs> compendium. <laughs> I, uh, have to... I figured out that it was a psychological hmm. thing, and you know, not indeed. I'll admit I've had a. Um, I think it was uh, where I was staying with. Uh, I think it was in my last year, or was it first year of? Was it, it was it was either last year of degree or first year of PhD, and um, my night terror for that, uh, I could visualise in front of me looked extremely like Gollum from from <laughs> yeah. from Lord of the Rings, and I was just like, and all I distinctly remember that my thoughts at that time was. I'm going to hit you, you bastard, if you don't go off me. And of course you're there, and then suddenly you do feel your hand clench. You're like, oh great, now I can actually move. And then that that, breaks of course, it. It, it's yeah. gone, and you know, you can't, you, know, you realize what it was. But yeah. No, yeah, I really love so... Changeling as a game. So, um, and one of the things why I think it'll be interesting to use the bits that you've written for Changeling is because one of the bits in Changeling, which I've hardly used, because that core book is so jam packed. Is all the rules for dreams because it's there's a massive amount in there, and there's a lot in Changeling to use in that game. That well, it's um, oh, yeah. it's yeah. difficult to fit it all in. Changeling's really jammed full. It is. And, uh, and it, it, you know, it's, it's a very justifiably popular game, and um, it's getting you know so much so that it's getting the third. Or uh, 
yeah, um, third or uh, fourth if you look at it differently, um, historical game. Um, oh, that's right, soon. yeah. Oh, yeah, it's getting the Victorian lost, yeah. Yeah. Mm. I'm quite looking forward to that one. That's going to be that, that's going to be really good fun. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. Cool. Well, that covers all my questions, and I think we've asked a lot of questions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's yep. Giving Malcolm yes. Shepard a run for his money. <laughs> yeah, I beat Malcolm or something. I was just going to say, I think this is this is longer than Malcolm's, isn't it? <laughs> okay. It might be. It might well be. Well, it might well. be. Thank you for we'll indulging us in the, in, in the, our major uh, geekdom there. It's, it was incredibly no, no, enjoyable. No, 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 no. It's my That's pleasure. Fantastic. I could go on. I probably shouldn't because it's nearly <laughs> Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> All right. So, um, Mike, yeah. Mike. There's, there's another question coming, isn't there? Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, that's an important <laughs> one. All right, Dave. If you could be a household okay. appliance, which would it be and why? I'd be... Um, uh, I wish there was a funny story about this, but I, I'd just be the toaster. I totally would be the toaster. Um, I, um, if my wife weren't, you know, three hours of sleep, she'd uh, be... Um, uh, she'd be mocking me and saying that I was the toaster. It's just because, you know, I eat so much of it. <laughs> all right, that's good. Outstanding. Cool. Well, I think that's it for all of our questions. Um, and uh, as we move over to the uh, closing of the show, uh, Mark, you've got a bit of an announcement to make. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Um, so this is or has been uh, my final episode of Darker Days. Uh, that's right, folks. I'm hanging up my uh, black cloak and uh, refreshing finger, and I'm calling it a day. Reasons are very, very brief. I've just recently been uh, brought on board as senior writer for an independent computer games company. We're in pre-alpha phase. We've got funding to keep us going through this current period, but we're racing ahead to get more. And as anybody who's been involved in such a project knows, it's 24-7, no free time, no sleep, lots of coffee, lots of toast. Um, so rather than flag at darker days, I decided now is a very good time to bow gracefully and step out of the limelight and leave the show in the capable hands of my esteemed co-hosts. Um, so there you go. I, uh, yes, I will bid you my farewells. Um, Mike and Chris, I want to say thanks to you guys. It's been excellent working with you both. Uh, you've been great hosts. Darker days is in safe hands. I also want to say a special thanks to Vince, my original co-host. I had some great times there, buddy. Uh, thanks again also to everyone at White Wolf and especially to Eddie Webb for being so supportive to us. And a huge thanks to all of our guests, uh, yourself, of course, Dave, for being so fantastic on the show. Uh, and finally, but most of all, most importantly, a huge, huge thank you to all of our listeners and all the members of the Darker Days community, past and present. There's too many to call out individually. You guys keep the show alive. You help us grow. You keep us sharp and make it all worthwhile. So thank you. It has been a blast. Right, that's it. I'm done. Um, I'll, be in, I'll, I'll be in my trailer. <laughs> Is this your moment of actual ascension? Are we going to finally... <laughs> or is this it's just, just a be... threshold seeking? This is going to be a weird popping noise and that'll be it. <laughs> Great. Well, Mark, it's been, uh, it's been an honor to learn from you as a listener and uh, it's been great to work with you as a fellow podcaster. So thank you very much for all your hard work and everything. 
Thank you. I was only going to say I can only you know say the same things as Mike has just said. So yeah, it's been great. Thank you very much, both of you. And if uh, if you have the patience for it, I'm sure I'll find time to send a darkling or two your way sometime in the future when I have something magey to geek out about. <laughs> yeah. Great. All right, and with that, uh, I think that's the end of the episode. So uh, if you have any uh, questions or feedback, send it to Mark. What's the email address? Radio at gmail.com. Outstanding. And check us out on <laughs> Facebook at uh, facebook.com slash darkerdaysradio. Uh, Darker Days Radio on Twitter as well. Uh, Dave, do you have a website that you want to uh, pimp? Um, no, not really. Uh, I've got my uh, uh, my hopelessly unupdated blog, but uh, I wouldn't point people. Uh, I wouldn't really point people to that. Just uh, yeah, um, keep playing the games and um, uh, keep talking about them um, because uh, uh, the fan community is the most important thing in uh, keeping role playing alive. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Brilliant, yes. Great. Well, I think that's it. And uh, everyone, uh, Dave, thank you very much for uh, an outstanding interview. Uh, Mark, thanks for showing up for one last time. Chris, thanks for showing up so late. (laughs) Yes. I mean, not late, but staying up so late. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, I'm staying up late, too. It's not just him. But I'm in the future. That's the difference. Yes, you are. One hour in the future. (laughs) All right. And... uh, (laughs) Everyone, farewell. That's it. Take care, folks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.